The views expressed on this episode of My Take Radio do not reflect the views, thoughts, or feelings of the My Take Radio staff, My Take Radio advertisers, or My Take Radio content partners. Listener and viewer discretion is advised. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. Hey, what's going on, guys? My Take Radio, episode 272 for Wednesday, February 11th, 2015. I'm your host, Rich, and our call number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call number, 347-324-3541. All right, so if you're just tuning into mtrlive.com or gfqlive.tv, you will see that there is no video this evening, unfortunately, Due to circumstances beyond my control, we were not able to get video set up for this evening. Uh, One of the things I'm trying to set up for 2015 is an alternative video source for situations like this so we can have a video feed. As always, the show will be recorded and video will be available on the My Take Radio and Rageworks YouTube channels. So keep that in mind. And as always, archived episodes of the shows are, are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and tune in radio as always and a lot of you guys have been doing it please take a moment if you're getting the shows from itunes and leave a review either mark five stars or four stars or whatever you feel and um you know leave a little paragraph we definitely would like to uh you know share those on air with everybody so with that said even though we don't have video we do have audio as usual running via mixler and blog talk radio as always and of course like i said Archives of the audio will be available on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. All right, so before we get into tonight's topics, a couple of things I wanted to discuss. I actually got an email uh, from a listener named Lance from Michigan. He actually just started listening to the show around episode 210, and he writes the following. Hey, Rich, just hopped on my take radio due to a recommendation from a friend of mine. Started checking out the show at episode 210. I noticed you guys are moving away from MyTakeRadio.com to Rageworks. One thing I did want to ask is if you want to listen to earlier episodes, I'm noticing on iTunes that I can't go back to episode one. Uh, Not sure why that is. Um, Most of our episodes go all the way back to number one. I'll probably send the note in, see what the deal is. I don't think that it has anything to do with iTunes. It may just be Libsyn, but I'll find out. And um, I'll respond on air or I'll send you a message. Um, One thing I do want to tell you guys, if the shows are not updating for whatever reason on iTunes, 
we do post the shows on RageWorks as always. So episodes will definitely always be on the site. So don't think that if there's any issues that you can't drop me a line via social media, either via Twitter or Facebook or even via the comments on the site. I try to keep myself plugged in as much as possible to make sure that everything is running smoothly. But if you are not getting any of the earlier episodes, please make sure to let me know and I will do my best to either remedy the situation or at least give you other means to get the show. Speaking of which, I am happy to report that the show's already approaching a thousand downloads for the month of February. We're only two weeks into the month. I definitely want to thank all of you guys that have listened to the shows and share them as much as possible. Um, one thing I do want to ask is I notice a lot of you guys are on the My Take Radio fan page. Please do me a favor if you are on the My Take Radio fan page and are getting updates there. Please take a moment if you haven't already and toss a like to RageWorks, uh, facebook.com forward slash official RageWorks. And that's where the bulk of our updates are going to be. I try to share them on MyTakeRadio.com just so that people that listen to the show exclusively can see those updates. But I still am noticing quite a disconnect between both pages. So if you are a fan on the MyTakeRadio side, do us a favor. Make sure to head over to Facebook.com forward slash official RageWorks and toss us a like. Uh, we would really appreciate it. And we just want to start getting those numbers up and balancing those out. Uh, same thing with Google Plus. If you're one of the users on Google Plus, RageWorks does have a page there as well. And Twitter, of course, we already have everybody that, you know, everybody possible following us on Twitter for both RageWorks and My Take Radio. But if you're not, definitely look for us on Twitter as well. Uh, the My Take Radio Twitter account usually just gets most of the show updates and occasionally some regular things that I kind of post that way as well. But most of the stuff is being handled by the RageWorks side of things. Uh, another thing I did want to let you guys know is this weekend is the 2015 Toy Fair. And myself, Slick, Andrea will be covering the Toy Fair event along with our colleagues from Royal Flush Magazine. So be on the lookout for that via all our social media channels. We're going to have pictures. We're going to be taking some video. We're going to try and give you guys and show you guys as much as possible. Uh, we're going to see some of the stuff from Avengers Age of Ultron, a ton of awesome collectibles. I heard we're hopefully going to see some of the new WWE figures that they're putting out. We're going to be meeting with McFarlane Toys, and we're going to try and share that with you throughout the entire weekend. So make sure to keep it locked to RageWorks.net or via any of our social media channels, and you guys can check that out as well. For those of you that are fans of Instagram, I was debating creating an Instagram specifically for RageWorks. One of the reasons why I haven't is because it's incredibly difficult to manage uh, multiple Instagram accounts at this time. But if you're into Instagram and you want to follow that stuff, uh, definitely make sure to use um, Instagram's RageWorks underscore Rich, and you guys can check it out there. And, um, you know, for those of you otherwise, like I said, Twitter, Facebook, Google+, even Pinterest. We got a couple of Pinterest boards, and um, that's that's pretty much where we're at with regards to those announcements. One other thing I did want to say is RageWorks.net continues to get improvements, and we're making as many updates as possible, trying to get everything running smoothly. Uh, we've moved over the bulk of My Take Radio's posts from MyTakeRadio.com, but we are going to, um, I am going to try and maybe freelance some of that stuff out just because it's it's incredibly time consuming and there's so many other things 
I want to try and do for you guys. We want to try and get more video out, uh, a lot of other video content, and um, you know that way we can uh, get everything up and running. Hold on one second. I got to answer this communique. Hold on a moment. There we go. Anyway, as I was saying, so with that said, that's all the housekeeping. What is on tap for tonight? Well, on the MMA side of things, of course, another fighter gets popped for juice along with some other fight card news we got on tap. On the wrestling side of things, man, oh, man, we got Monday Night Raw, which was subpar as shit. And we had the amazing, amazing NXT rival card, which I finally finished watching about 10 minutes before we went live. Man, those guys in uh, the NXT roster blew that blew anything out of the water that Raw and SmackDown have been bringing to the table the last couple of weeks. And again, we're talking about up and coming performers, veterans of the industry, some of them but still just going out there and delivering amazing wrestling. I definitely want to dig into that card a little bit. Of course, we're going to address the fact that many wrestling fans now feel a lot closer with Seth Rollins, which, of course, is in light of the um, the hacking scandal that involves Seth Rollins, an NXT developmental diva, his fiance, and, of course, the fallout from that scene throughout social media and WWE.com. So, uh Many people feel a lot closer to Mr. Rollins this week, and um, we're going to get into that. And, of course, just the, the, the darker side, of course, of social media, especially with regards to the public, we're going to dig into that. And, as always, we will take your calls, 347-324-3541. Again, 347-324-3541. If you're tuning in on mtrlive.com, please note that we do not have video for this episode, unfortunately, due to circumstances beyond our, excuse me, beyond our control, but video will be available on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash my take radio TV. And of course, youtube.com forward slash official rage works. So there you go. Let's get into this week's MMA. We got lots to discuss. Let's get that ball rolling. Shall we? As always, My Take Radio's MMA segment is brought to you by MMAWarehouse.com. Get all the latest and greatest fighting and training gear. All of the gear from your favorite fighters, plus all your favorite training gear, including training masks, fighter t-shirts, rash guards, kick pads, you name it, they got it. Make sure to check them out at MMAWarehouse.com. All right, so I want to get the ball rolling with um, some CM Punk news. Of course, CM Punk is preparing for his UFC debut, training with Rufus Sport. And a couple of fighters, of course, have been interviewed recently and asked about him, including Ben Askren, of course, who is the welterweight champion for 1FC, and Tyron Woodley. So with regards to Ben Askren, of course, Ben Askren was a big, uh, was very vocal about the signing of CM Punk, but that's because Ben Askren is considered one of the best welterweight fighters on the planet and for some reason just cannot get on the UFC's radar partially because of Dana White. Uh, I'd, I'd like to say at least 90% sure it's because Dana White doesn't like the guy, but you cannot dispute that the guy is a talented fighter. Most people are just aren't a fan of his slow-paced grinder fighting style, but that doesn't take away from the fact that the guy is one of the best in the world. Anyway, 
With regards to the, uh, the self-proclaimed best in the world, CM Punk, Ben Askren said the following. He said, um, when someone gets decides to come into the UFC and they don't have a combat sports background, you're kind of thinking, does he really understand what he gets, what he's getting into? But I think he gets it, and I think he's taking it very seriously. Obviously, they're not going to start him off with the higher-ranked guys, but they don't do that to anybody. There will be someone good, but I don't see why he cannot compete. So, again, most of the most of the Rufus Sport camp has been very positive and very supportive of CM Punk. It's very good to see a guy like Ben Askren, who is an incredibly vocal fighter, say that CM Punk definitely is taking it seriously, which doesn't surprise me. I mean, the guy's incredibly dedicated, and it's not like he's super new. It's not like, you know, me waking up one day and saying, you know what, I want to go and fight in the octagon, and I only have, you know, a handful of years of martial arts experience. So, I mean, again, I think it's going to be a, a a harder road for a guy like CM Punk versus a guy like Brock Lesnar. But, you know, it's something that we're definitely going to be watching with much with much interest. Now, uh, Tyron Woodley appeared on, on Access Inside MMA, and he actually shared some thoughts about it. And he said, I did have a chance to train with CM Punk. CM Punk's awesome. He's a student of the sport. A lot of people are giving him a lot of crap. But after hanging out with him for three weeks, I told him, if anyone has a problem with CM Punk, they've got a problem with me. Again, very, very vocal, very passionate response from from T. Wood. And um, again, it's just good that, that so many people are rallying around CM Punk. Again, his success is going to be dependent on how well he adapts to, to, you know, just being in the octagon and how well the training camps go. I mean, again, opponents are one thing, but just being able to do a camp, make weight, deal with the rigors of the sport, go in there and deliver credible performances. You know, it's something that is what everybody's curious about. Of course, there's those of us that are, you know, casual MMA fans, and most of us just want to see, you know, how a guy with a professional wrestling background transitions to mixed martial arts. Of course, hardcore MMA fans want to see him fail. And I'm talking about hardcore fans that are complete MMA purists that, you know, speak poorly of professional wrestling or just feel that professional wrestling is quote-unquote a fake sport. Of course, in their eyes, they would like to see CM Punk fail because they feel that it's another wrestler encroaching on their sport. And I feel, and I've had this conversation with a a very good friend of mine, um, just about where MMA and the UFC is at currently, and it really just kind of is, I don't want to, I don't want to say it's stagnant, but I definitely want to say that it's partially on the stale side. I mean, you know, I we, we talk about MMA, and a lot of the stuff we talk about is everything outside of the sport itself. You know, steroid scandals, all the really bad shit, guys getting arrested. The sport itself is kind of in a in a lull right now, in a mid in a middle ground. And the reason that's happening is partially because the UFC has monopolized the sport, and whether people want to say that or not. They've monopolized it in the sense of much like, and again, the parallels with WWE, when Vince McMahon was competing against Ted Turner during the Monday Night Wars, we were getting some of the best wrestling. Well, let me rephrase. We were getting some of the best sports entertainment that that era had ever seen. And that was because, again, iron sharpens iron and it was reactionary because one guy's delivering a good product. The other guy's like, yo, I got to step my game up and deliver an equally good product. When Strike Force was putting on really good cards, the UFC, for as much as people said Strike Force wasn't really a threat, I did feel that Strike Force had a wealth of fighters and a lot of great, um, a lot of great guys came out of Strike Force. Hell, Robbie Lawler's champion, and he came out of Strike Force. 
And, you know, the reason that is is because the UFC was being tested. Now, again, Strikeforce wasn't knocking them off the perch, but Strikeforce definitely was making their presence felt. Now, when you talk about the UFC and you talk about other promotions, yeah, there's Bellator, there's World Series of Fighting, um, there's RFA, there's a lot of promotions out there, but the bulk of it, the bulk of the industry is controlled by the UFC. Even Bellator with Scott Coker and Viacom's money, they're there, but they're not. They're they're nowhere near um, where WCW was uh, against WWE. That like that type of an analogy. I think that in Bellator's case, they still have a long way to go. And the problem is that there's. I, I just feel there's a vacuum of fighters still. I mean, a lot of divisions are very light. And in Bellator's case, they pick up the guys that are either freak show commodities or guys that are disgruntled UFC fighters, and then they try and create household names out of them. And, you know, you may look at that and say, yeah, you know, Bellator Bellator has a long way to go, but it's not just the the picking up of, of UFC cast-offs and, and freak show guys. Bellator needs to just find... Find a method of promotion and stick to it. I mean, obviously being on Spike TV is a great help, but I do feel Bellator is missing that same level of aggressive expansion that the UFC kind of took over in the sense that the UFC was trying to get sponsored by by Reebok and, you know, getting the Reebok sponsorship and launching the network and doing this and doing that. I mean, in Viacom's case, they could, with, with the amount of money that Bellator has fronting them from Viacom, there's plenty of opportunity for them to to grab a company like Adidas or a company like Under Armour, who obviously with their relationship with GSP has no problem dipping their toes into the mixed martial arts pool. Um, same thing, Nike deal. Or better yet, some of these smaller companies really should just find ways to start working together, doing super fight cards, things like that, because I think that's the only way that they're going to take the fight to the UFC and feel and give the UFC something where they got to step up. I mean, right now, the UFC is putting on events, it almost feels like every week. And the problem is that the UFC wants you to think that every event is important. And to a degree, there's there's some validity there, but let's be honest, there's some cards that you either just skip completely or forget that they're even happening, or there's just so many injuries and things rearing their head and so much shuffling that by the time a card gets finalized, you don't even give a shit about who's fighting because every fighter that you wanted to see is injured or or got shuffled to another card. And that's I think that's the problem in 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 regards to just oversaturation. I mean, you know, you got your pay-per-views, you got Fox Sports One, you got, you know, UFC Fight Pass, you got all this stuff going on. And again, it's just watering down the product. I think if you're going to give us maybe two cards a month, maybe, and when I mean two cards a month, I mean one pay-per-view card, one Fox card. But it feels like in, you know we're getting three cards, four cards in, in some instances, and again, you know, it's just taking the weight off of the importance of some of these fights because, like I said, there's just so many fighters, and uh, it's crazy that they say not enough TV time, but there is. There is TV time. It's just the fact that, they're they're stacking so many cards one after the other that the, they're not allowing people to choose what they really want to see. And that's what's happening. Like you're putting one marquee fight, three passable fights. And the problem is like when Ben and I were talking a couple of weeks back, we were talking about, um, you know, Showbox. When Showtime would have Showbox, they would have 
you know, some of the some of the up and coming fighters, some of the lower tier guys, and they'd give that just free, you know, on a Saturday night, whatever. And I think that that's what they kind of want to go with with the UFC and the Fox Sports cards, excluding the main Fox cards. But like cards on Fox Sports one should be on that same caliber, on like a showbox kind of a caliber, where it's just a lower a lower lower production just easily accessible easily consumable you can see a lot of these up and coming fighters maybe dangle you know a, a top 5 fight in there and then save the rest for either the big fox cards or you know for pay-per-view that way people could just watch it and and not feel pressured that they're going to miss something i mean that's kind of one of the things i liked with showbox and hbo's boxing after dark which they used to give years ago you saw a lot of up and coming fighters and then you'd see like one or two uh top five top ten guys lock it up and you know you you'd learn about some of these guys a lot of times people watch these cards and i get messages from people they're like yo who is this guy have you ever seen this guy fight before and some guys i have and hell there's some where even i have to admit i haven't seen that guy fight but um it's just a, a very, very, uh, I don't want to say, like I said, not, not a stale period, but just a, a very, a very passive per- period for mixed martial arts. All right, so I, I got to talk about the Anderson Silva situation a little bit more. Obviously, February 17th is going to be a very, very big day. Um, Nevada State Athletic Commission hearings on tap for both Anderson Silva, Nick Diaz, and... Get this, Hector Lombard, who also tested positive for steroids prior to uh, his fight, which, of course, now eliminated his fight with Roy McDonald from an upcoming UFC card. So February 17th is going to be a very, very crazy day for the sport of mixed martial arts. Like I said, we're going to, you know, we got three three big hearings on deck. Anderson Silva continues to deny that he used performance-enhancing drugs. I'm curious to see... What is gonna? What's gonna come out of that hearing? Um, what reasoning he has for the positive test, if any, and what kind of a suspension or what kind of fine and suspensions are gonna be levied against him? I also want to see what unfolds with Nick Diaz because, like I said, this isn't Nick Diaz's first, um, you know, first bag of, uh, you know, first. Uh, well, let me let me rephrase. This is not the first time Nick Diaz has been caught with marijuana metabolites in his system. The other, um, the other test that I'm curious, correction, the other um, fine and suspension I'm curious about is John Fitch, of course, from his pre-fight drug test from the World Series of Fighting uh, 16 in December. I'm curious to see what the deal is with that. Um, right now, all signs point to him facing a nine-month suspension and a $2,500 fine. But the thing that gets me and why I'm watching that particular suspension with much interest is because that that suspension for nine months can be appealed at a future hearing. So we'll see what the deal is with that and if John Fitch will be out for nine months. So last week and the week prior, we've been we kind of talked a little bit about about super fight possibilities and fights we'd like to see. I know Ben and I have been very vocal about it in past shows about super fight opportunities that present themselves and there's a lot of guys that we'd love to see square off with fighters in other divisions obviously you know Cain Velasquez John Jones uh, Weidman and Jones etc etc so many fights but the problem with super fights is that guys want to get paid and most of the super fights on paper while they sound incredible 
there's always that possibility that guys just aren't going to make the right amount of money or it's just not going to have the right amount of promotion. Now, Demetrius Johnson, who's uh, an incredibly talented fighter, a guy that's at the top of his division and pretty much gets no love from the UFC, actually had an interview recently with the MMA Hour, and he said that he would actually do a super fight with TJ Dillashaw, and he said he'd do it for $2 million. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, the funny thing is that you know, we all know that he's that $2 million payday for either of these guys is just not in the cards, but he said, hey, you know, maybe a million if Dana White can come out with it. And it just raises an interesting possibility for me where super fight, let me let me let me uh, paint it a different way. Super fights, while they're great for the sport and really do help you establish pound for pound who's the greatest fighter, you know, in the organization or in the world, have incredible risk. And the reason I say this is because if a guy's not going to commit to going up in weight and is just only willing to do their super fight and loses, any luster that that fighter had is gone. Just because it's like, hey, man, you know, you fought this guy that was heavier than you and, you know, you got your ass kicked. And the same thing can be said if it's a guy at a heavier weight and loses to a lighter guy. There's there's the upside is more so from a fan service perspective and from a pay-per-view revenue perspective. And the reason I say this is because let's let's take a good example. Cain Velasquez, John Jones. If you were to do a super fight with these guys. Obviously, it would sell a shitload of tickets. It would sell a shitload of tickets, uh, whether the fight is fought in Vegas or if they do the fight in Mexico. Whatever the case may be, you would sell a shit ton of tickets. But let's think about this. If John Jones loses to Cain Velasquez, obviously the first thing people are going to say is, yo, Cain Velasquez is on a whole other level. You know, I'm not surprised. On the flip side, if Cain, if he if he loses... There's that other side of the fan base that's going to say, yo, John Jones can't come up to heavyweight. Dude can't even hang in a super fight. And again, we're, we're talking armchair, armchair MMA analysis. And uh, this is the way I see it is super fights from a monetary standpoint are great for all parties involved. But I will say this. You got to be a needle mover. It's terrible to say. But like I said, this is what the sport of mixed martial arts has become. You got to be a needle mover to get a big payday. If you're going to do a a super fight between Chris Weidman and John Jones, yes, that that fight would probably sell and move the needle, quote unquote, tremendously. But if you did a fight with, I don't know, Brock Lesnar and uh, Junior Dos Santos, you might get a higher buy rate than a super fight just because Brock Lesnar's a guy that sells pay-per-views simple as that same thing can be said with um george george st pierre guy sells pay-per-views chael sonnen sold pay-per-views and and that's what i'm saying like unfortunately again we'd all love to look at the ranking system and and feel that every fight is the fight that needs to happen but a lot of fights are just based on whose bank book whose bankroll is going to get fat after it's all said and done and Again, I'd love to see some super fights, but if it's going to be at the risk of, uh, you know, just the fights not living up to expectations or the fighters not getting the right amount of money, even though, you know, they should be for, for that type of a fight, then I'd rather just not do it. I mean, a lot of people felt that Anderson Silva and Nick Diaz was a quote unquote super fight. And while it was, 
to to most of us, I just felt that nobody nobody won in that scenario. Think about it. Both guys got popped for 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 banned substances. Both guys are kind of on the radar of the commission now. And even if even if let's say for Anderson Silva's sake, the test is you know wrong or the sample was corrupted, you know the 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 blemish is there, the spot is there, and people just look at that and you know they're gonna wonder. And the same thing, you know, with Nick Diaz, it's different because it's weed. And unless you're just a hardcore stickler about the shit, you you know what the deal is. Again, um, what what Demetrius Johnson said about hey, two million dollars, he'd fight, he'd do a TJ Dillashaw super fight. I I can't even blame the guy. I can't even blame the guy for throwing out that number. Doesn't mean he's gonna get it. But fuck it, if you're gonna do that fight and you're gonna put your legacy on the line then might as well get paid. Let's let's make sure everybody gets paid in this situation. And that's that that's really how it's got to be. And like I said, it should be something for the fans and and something that both fighters mutually want to do. Like not just, "Hey, let's just do it for the sake of 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 making sure that this pay-per-view does record-breaking numbers." Like let let's say UFC 200, which will be here before you know it at the rate we're going, that should be a card that has all title fights and maybe a super fight of some sort, or at least one super fight, a couple of title fights, and maybe some contendership fights. Like that's like if you look back at UFC 100, that was probably one of the best UFC cards. I mean, there's there's been a lot of UFC cards since then that have been good, but like when people talk about UFC 100, they're like, "Yo, that entire night was just amazing." And that's what I'm saying. We need we need more of that, and not less of. Eh, Two out of those five fights were good. I could give two fucks less about the others. That's all I'm saying. So besides obviously being on the hook with the commission for banned substances, Anderson Silva also was removed as coach for the upcoming season of the Ultimate Fighter Brazil. He's actually being replaced uh, by Nog, and um, Nog will be coaching opposite um, Shogun. Which is which is crazy, but the one of the main reasons is that the show is being filmed in Vegas. So if you're in trouble with the commission and you know your your hearing hasn't even come to pass, there should be no reason why you should be coaching the Ultimate Fighter as well. So I can understand where that punishment comes from, but um, it's just it's just a, a really really bad situation. Like I said, February seventeenth is going to be a very very big day for MMA and not even for good reasons. That's for sure. Anyway, since Lombard's fight with McDonald is off, we actually have a new fight added to the card for um, UFC 186. And it's actually going to be Demetrius Johnson defending his flyweight belt against Kyoje Horiguchi. Uh, of course, the main event will be TJ Dillashaw and Henan Barrow. Um, also on that card, Quentin Rampage Jackson back in the UFC against Fabio Maldonado. Michael Bisping is on that card taking on C.B. Dalloway. Thomas Almeida is taking on Yves Jabuan. Patrick Cote will be facing against uh, will be facing off against Joe Riggs. Um, another fight I want to see John Mcdesey taking on Abel Trujillo. Again, that fight April 25th in Montreal. Uh, it's going to be a solid fight. I mean, the removal of McDonald and Lombard is you know it's it's a it's a bit of a of a bummer, but we are getting a second title fight for our troubles. Also. We are getting uh, the third fight in the trilogy between Sarah Kaufman and Alexis Davis, which definitely should be very good as well. 
It's been also a big uh, a big week for women's MMA, of course, Ronda Rousey being the first female mixed martial artist to grace the pages of Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Issue. Uh, very, very big news. And the reason I say this, obviously, yes, we're all looking at it and it's like, look, boobs, we got it. She's half naked. But it, it, it's just the, uh, the establishment uh, of just the main, the correction. It is the mainstream appeal of mixed martial arts, well, women's mixed martial arts, on, on, a, on a grander scale. While, yes, you can look at uh, Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Issue as pretty much glorified version of Maxim or FHM or any other men's magazine, the fact is that Sports Illustrated is still a very, very big uh, media entity, and people still buy um, Sports Illustrated. People still read Sports Illustrated. So to see Ronda Rousey in there, you know, it's definitely cool to see. I think, you know, people people are going to say what they're going to say. Um, but the fact is that, you know, seeing a, a female mixed martial artist in the pages of Sports Illustrated, even if it's the swimsuit issues, a pretty, pretty groundbreaking thing. I mean, you know, Ronda Rousey was also an ESPN's bodies issue, which, you know, has been around for quite some time as well. And again, has, you know, historical significance, but she was not the first in that instance, on the contrary, uh, Gina Carano was the first female mixed martial artist to be in a bodies issue, followed after that by Chris Cyborg, then Ronda Rousey, then Misha Tate, etc., etc., etc. But again, definitely uh, very cool uh, mainstream exposure for women's mixed martial arts. Um, in addition to that, uh, Paige Van Zant, who will be fighting Felice Herrig, was announced as the newest fighter um, having a contract with Reebok now. Remember, Reebok is giving certain fighters uh, specific endorsement deals and then, of course, will become the official sponsor of the UFC. So what's happening is, of course, we got the, the, the UFC uniform deal, which takes place in July, but certain fighters are getting endorsement deals directly from Reebok, Paige Van Zant being the newest fighter to do so. She joins Anthony Pettis, Johnny Hendricks, Ronda Rousey, John Jones and Conor McGregor, which of course have separate endorsement deals with Reebok at this time. Now, it's unfortunate that you know Carla Esparza was skipped over as as a as a new signee for Reebok. And the reason I say this is because while Paige Van Zant has mainstream appeal and she's easy on the eyes, I do feel that the main fighters of the organization should have separate endorsement deals as a whole. This applies to all fighters and you know if you want to add other other individuals after that so be it but i do stand by the fact that individual champions should have their own endorsement deals because obviously they are the face of your organization unfortunately i'm not the guy in charge of the deals but it is something that should just be a no-brainer at this point and carlos barza being a champion should be entitled to have a Reebok deal, much like Robbie Lawler, much like any of these other fighters. Of course, Johnny Hendricks um, had the opportunity and was signed with Reebok, and I'm sure Robbie Lawler should follow suit. And the reason I say this is because those are the fighters that are going to become the face of your organization for the foreseeable future. And while, again, marketability is a factor, I do feel that champions should either, like I said, have designated deals in place or at minimum, if they are already signed as part of the UFC uh, uniform deal, they should just get a bump to a separate endorsement deal when they become champions. I mean, at that point, it just kind of helps level the playing field a bit. And it, of course, motivates fighters that want to make more from an endorsement standpoint to you know crack that top 10. Not that they're not shooting for championships anyway, but if there's any performance-based incentives on being 
champion or being in the top five that Reebok is going to pay out, why should you not shy away from going after that money? That's all I'm saying. All right, so Uriah Faber was supposed to fight recently, and he was removed from a card because his his opponent was injured. But you know what? It was a blessing in disguise because the UFC announced that Uriah Faber and Frankie Edgar will be headlining UFC Fight Night in Manila, which is going down May 16th, uh, May 15th here in the U.S., May 16th in the Philippines. Of course, that will be airing on Fox Sports 1. Definitely an awesome fight. Uh, Uriah Faber, of course, huge feature attraction for the UFC, especially on the West Coast, facing uh, uh, the always dangerous Frankie Edgar, I think the fight itself is going to have a lot of fireworks and is going to be a solid main event for the UFC Manila card. Another fight that was announced earlier this evening, which I'm actually looking forward to seeing, is Daniel Cormier squaring off against Ryan Bader at UFC Fight Night 68 in June. Now, of course, Daniel Cormier coming off his loss to John Jones, looking to get back into contention, I think we'll find a very, very credible and dangerous opponent in Ryan Bader, who has been a guy that's always been talked about being in top five, top 10 competition. And while he's had great performances there, there have been highs and lows. I do feel that uh, DC and, and Bader will have a very, very good exchange. Again, this is one match that is going to probably be decided on the feet, given that both guys have great wrestling pedigree. I think on the feet, as much as people like Ryan Bader, I do think Cormier, Cormier excuse me, has a uh, crisper striking. Um, his wrestling is definitely a bit, a bit better than Bader's. I think Cormier also knows how to use his wrestling aggressively in most situations, excluding obviously his performance against Jones. I think the fight itself is going to be very exciting, and I look forward to seeing it. Uh, Bader currently sits in the number five slot after defeating um, Phil Davis via decision last month. Of course, Daniel Cormier sits at number three. This is a big opportunity for Bader. If he's able to dethrone Cormier, he's going to get that much closer, maybe one fight away from a UFC light heavyweight title opportunity. The fight between Jacare Souza and Yoel Romero has officially been been rescheduled. It is now the co-main event of UFC on Fox 15 uh, going down in April. Uh, pretty much a win by either guy is going to catapult them into middleweight title contention. Uh, Jacare currently sits at the number two slot. Romero sits at number six. But both fighters are currently undefeated in the UFC and are going into their fights with a very, very impressive win streak. Uh, April 18th is the date for that card, and it's going down in Newark, New Jersey. Of course, for us New York MMA fans, if we want to partake, in the excitement, we're going to have to take the drive to Jersey in order to see that card. All right, so that is actually going to wrap up the MMA news for the week. Before we shift gears and jump into wrestling, I did want to say one thing with regards to mixed martial arts, and I got to tell you guys this all the time. If you have um, Access TV, not not Access TV, correction, if you have uh, Fios or any of these other providers do yourselves a favor, definitely check out Access TV or Spike TV and try and, and dip your toes into other promotions. Bellator, of course, has a card, I believe, uh, this Friday. And I know that the UFC has a card on Saturday. And like I said, just just flip the channels, check around, check other promotions, uh, get yourself acquainted with other fighters that 
may or may not be already on your radar. And I say this because before you know it, this guy may leave this promotion and end up in either Bellator or the UFC. So definitely try and show those smaller promotions some love. And the reason I say that also is because by the smaller promotions being supported, it gives an outlet for up-and-coming fighters to get noticed. I mean, of course, everybody aspires to be in the UFC, but it's a long road to get there. So definitely try and support your smaller promotions, your local promotions, and um, it's something I can't stress enough. I mean, the same thing with, with wrestling. I mean, it's easy to tune into Raw or SmackDown or NXT, but do yourselves a favor. Same thing, you know, support your local independence. It helps the, the talents get noticed. And of course, before you know it, a talent whose career you followed on the local independent circuit, you may be following in the big leagues as well. All right. So that is actually going to wrap up the MMA news for this week. Uh, things were a little light. Like I said, we had no fight cards. I'm sure next weekend, uh, excuse me, next week, We'll be talking uh, Bellator and, of course, UFC's card going down this Saturday. All right, let's jump into this week's wrestling, which, like I said, chock full of madness and mayhem. Booker T, take it away. We want the gold, sucker. Hulk Hogan, we're coming for you, nigga. As always, my take radios. M- excuse me, <laughs> my take radios wrestling segment. Almost said MMA there. My take radios wrestling segment is brought to you by wweshop.com. Use our promo code wwesave ten to save ten dollars on orders over seventy dollars or more. Again, wwesave ten save ten bucks on orders over seventy dollars or more. You can also find other promo codes and discounts on rageworks.net. Make sure to click those. Of course, any purchase done after clicking one of those banners does help us out and allow us to continue to improve the show, improve the site and continue giving you guys a quality product. Again, that promo code WWE save 10. Unfortunately, since we do not have a video feed, you guys cannot see my kick-ass bullet club t-shirt, but you will see it for the archive version of the show when it's uploaded on YouTube That is courtesy of our friends at Pro Wrestling Tees, and I will make sure to include a link for those of you that are interested in picking up the very, very cool Bullet Club t-shirt. All right, so let's open it up with Raw, which, again, I don't understand how the Raw Raw that served as the lead-in for Triple H and Stone Cold's sit-down on Stone Cold's podcast was leaps and bounds ahead of what we've seen the last couple of weeks, and then we regress with this week's Raw. So Raw opened up this week with, of course, excuse me, the Authority and Roman Reigns and, of course, the um, the inevitable uh, dissension between potential opponents was teased and, of course, that led to a match with Big Show and Kane against Daniel Bryan and Roman Reigns. Again, shit we've seen before. We've seen the the, the guys who are competing against each other hate each other inadvertently hit each other, et cetera, et cetera. Again, it's it's a formula we've seen. I mean, uh, like I said the week prior, I said we're going to see tag team matches between these two. We're going to see all kinds of matches which are going to continue to drive a wedge between them on the road to Fastlane. Again, it's the typical formula that we've seen. Who knows? They may even get a tag team title opportunity where they may win the belt, and because they hate each other, they may 
have to, you know, be tag team champions that have to coexist. You know, the usual uh, wash, rinse, and repeat bullshit that we've seen every week. Um, again, Big Show and Kane just overused, overexposed, and just constantly, constantly out there. And again, I understand the the Big Show Roman Reigns feud, if you even want to call it that, is kind of still still simmering a bit. Same thing with Kane and Daniel Bryan, but again, we've seen this shit a thousand fucking times. Singles matches, tag team matches, we got it. We got it. On the flip side, Ryback was in a match with Seth Rollins, which was surprisingly decent. Again, uh, Ryback being a power wrestler, Seth Rollins being uh, what I like to call a hybrid wrestler using a mix of just regular high-flying technique and standard-issue wrestling, uh, worked out well. A lot of people felt that the match was a little disjointed. Um, I do feel that there were there were some high points in that match, and Ryback continues to become a force amongst the WWE universe, and that's good uh, considering how how much damage they did to his character after that very very poorly executed heel turn and alignment with Paul Heyman. I think Ryback has the potential to be a top five performer. And when I say a top five performer, it's a guy that, that lends, that leads to, you know, plenty of, of merchandise sales, gets the crowd amped, uh, delivers some good spots. Again, you're always going to have a a litany of wrestlers that fall under the, the, what I like to call the three umbrellas. You got your high flyers, you got your well-rounded guys, and you got your big guys and your big guys. There's always going to be one guy leaps and bounds ahead of the other of the other ones. And the reason I say this is because if you look at the current crop of quote unquote big guys, you have Harper, Rowan, Kane, Big Show, and Mark Henry. Those are essentially your five quote unquote big guys. You could throw Ryback in there as a big guy from a muscular stance, but if you want to go that route, then you got to throw Biggie in there as well. But I'm talking about big in stature. Out of those five individuals, You'll see that Kane and the Big Show just they don't have that same mobility, they don't have that same cri- the, the same crispness in the ring. Meanwhile, you look at a guy like Luke Harper, this guy for as big as he is, incredibly agile, well-rounded, just a, a far departure from some of the other guys. Even Eric Rowan for as robotic as his movement is, he's pretty solid in the ring as well. And I actually have something I want to talk about regarding Eric Rowan later on in the segment. But again, you know, these guys, you look at, at, at the quote-unquote big guys, you'll see that there's a very, very big gap between the guys that are that are mobile and agile and the guys that are quote-unquote still big, but just they, they, they don't carry matches the same way. Now, Mark Henry's a unique case because in Mark, Henry's, in Mark Henry's situation, Mark Henry was damaged by creative. He wasn't damaged by wrestling ability because Mark Henry's a very, very good power wrestler. Again, this isn't a guy that's going to do, you know, a moonsault off the top rope like Hugh Morris, but he's definitely going to work the power game very, very well. Now, I do want to say that, you know, everybody talks about um, Baron Corbin and and how Corbin has the potential to be the next quote-unquote big guy. I, I, I don't want to invest in that theory, and the only reason I say that is because Baron Corbin's moveset is shades of 1998 Kevin Nash. It's either very quick and to the point or very, very, it's it's not crisp at all. I mean, uh, of course, a, a question can be made that he's still very green, 
but still, I mean, you know, I, I think in terms of just the big guys, there's there's ample room for improvement in Corbin's situation. You know, Mark Henry is probably, aside from, like I said, Harper and Rowan, one of the bigger, more credible big guys on that roster. Kane, Big Show, just, just like I said, Big Show should be transitioned to more an enforcer type of a guy, maybe a guy that, that works with a smaller guy. But Big Show in the ring every week, just get the fuck out of here. And and Kane, again, Kane should be transitioned into a management persona or, or you know, just something along those lines, maybe a GM, something like that, where occasionally he gets his hands dirty, but he's not he's not in there every fucking week. Because, again, uh, uh, not to say that he, that he sucks, but it's definitely starting to show. Age is definitely starting to show on Kane and the Big Show. Slick wrote in the chat, there's no reason why Ryback could not enjoy Goldberg's status. I agree 110%. There's no reason why he shouldn't. And he was well on his way to establishing himself as quote-unquote Goldberg for WWE. And Creative just decided we're going to turn him heel. We're going to do the whole bully gimmick. All this shit. They just damaged him. And I really thought that he wasn't going to recover effectively. But luckily, you know, him being injured, being off TV for a while, it kind of allowed them to do a soft reset and bring him back and kind of try to erase the stench of, of that terrible, terrible heel turn. Another quote-unquote big guy who has a tremendous upside is Rusev. Don't misunderstand, Rusev still looks like the guy that you see at a deli counter every morning on your way to work, but he definitely has an upside as a big guy, as an agile performer, as a guy who's a force. I mean, I think we're, we're, we're long gone of the days where you're going to have a roster with six or seven guys that are, that are seven feet tall. It's just not happening anymore. So what you have to do is you have to build guys up as monsters based on ability. You know, my, and and I say this because you look at a guy like Rusev, Rusev is a very imposing dude. I mean, don't get me wrong, he's not jacked to the gills, but he's just a big guy. He's just a big burly dude, a big, you know, scary-looking guy when when he's put in the right environment. Now, again, he's a guy that he's been on the winning streak. He's got the US title. He's squaring off against John Cena at Fastlane. Rusev is a guy that you could probably make him the top heel in your company very, very easily. And that's not to say that he's being protected. I just think that the the caliber of opponents haven't been uh, beneficial to his push. I think him working with Cena is going to work to his advantage. And I actually see that match with Cena at Fastlane ending with some sort of shenanigans, some sort of shit and not having no real resolution, because I think the bigger payoff for that match will be at WrestleMania, because obviously Cena's going to be the guy that's going to defeat Rusev. Let's not kid ourselves. It's not going to be anybody else except John Cena, and that's fine, because if Cena does break the streak, then you kind of get the monkey off of Rusev's back of being undefeated, and you can start moving him into other pastures, into other territories with regards to feuds. Um... Slick says uh, they're going to give Cena the U.S. title to keep him out of the world champion, uh, out of world champion contendership. And that's true. But I also feel that the secondary belts need a little bit of love. I think that the secondary belts do not get the amount of credit they deserve. And putting the belt on Cena, you know, some people may see that as regression. I don't see that being the case. I think Cena can bring some prestige to the U.S. title. I mean, this is a guy with 15, 15 WWE 
title reigns under his belt. And I think that Cena is starting to transition himself into the the stage in his career where he wants to start putting guys over. I mean, he put Daniel Bryan over, he put Seth Rollins over, he put Brock Lesnar over. I mean, you know, even though he's a locker room leader and some people speak speak poorly of him, I kind of feel that Cena's been one of the guys that's been more inclined to put people over versus some of the other wrestlers that have come and gone. You know, if you look at a guy like Triple H and a guy like John Cena at the top of their game, I feel that Cena has put more guys over in his career than Triple H has. Pains me to admit it, but I feel that that is true. I think John Cena's put over and made guy, more guys look good at his expense than Triple H ever did. Simple as that. John Cena's put over Ryback. He's put over Bray Wyatt. He's put over Mark Henry. And the list goes on of guys that he's had matches with where even when he's won, he's made the guys look incredibly good in their matches. Incredibly good. You look at, and this is the thing, you know, people have this misconception that John Cena sucks as a wrestler. John Cena is a very, very, a very solid wrestler. He's a very good wrestler. He's just limited because creative and, and the company has no belief in, in, in the guys that he's competing against. They always feel that Cena needs to be head and shoulders above everyone else. And Cena's a guy that he doesn't need to win every match. He doesn't need to. I think John Cena's at a, at a point in his career where the guy's at the top of the food chain. It's like Hulk Hogan. Even though Hulk Hogan hated putting people over, when Hulk Hogan lost, it wasn't a big deal. It really wasn't. Cena's in that same boat. The problem is, and I've said this before, the company is afraid to invest energy in guys because they're afraid it's going to look, you know, it's going to blow up in their faces. And and that shouldn't be the case. You're, You're going to all this trouble building these guys up and you're not taking them to the next level or you're investing the energy in guys who are not ready for that spotlight. Roman Reigns, I'm looking at you. Whether people want to admit it or not, Roman Reigns is not ready. If you were to put Roman Reigns, Seth Rollins, Dean Ambrose, Rusev, Ryback, and Dolph Ziggler on a scale to determine which guy should be the next face of your company, you could probably say that Seth Rollins would be your number one heel, head and shoulders above anybody else on that roster currently. And Daniel Bryan was probably the only guy that you can that you can book as the top face of your organization because WWE has done nothing to create a guy to carry the banner for the company. There's no other guy on that roster right now that I think WWE believes can carry that company. I hate to say it. It's always going to be the traditional John Cena, Randy Orton. It's always going to be those guys or, or Roman Reigns in this case. There's no belief in those other guys. Yeah, Seth Rollins, he walks around with the Money in the Bank briefcase. But again, do you see Seth Rollins being that guy? Do you see Seth Rollins showing up on, on, on Kelly and Michael in the morning or showing up on Good Day New York or showing up on, you know, the morning news show or, or any other place? Do you see him being that guy? I'll be honest when I say no. And that's because the company has done nothing to make that the case. You know, when when you send John Cena to show up on Kelly and Michael or or any of these morning shows, you got a guy, you, you know, in, in these in, in, in a situation that he's been created as the face of this company. And yes, it took time. But John Cena is that guy. There isn't a guy on that roster yet that you can look at 
as a transitional mainstream guy. WWE wants you to think, yo, it's going to be Roman Reigns. It's not going to be Roman Reigns either. It's not. It's not going to be him. You have a better chance of having Daniel Bryan be that guy than Roman Reigns be that guy. And I'll tell you why. From a from a um from just a comparison standpoint, people feel more inclined and more in in common with a guy like Daniel Bryan than a guy like Roman Reigns. And the reason I say that is because you look at Roman Reigns, you see a guy, he's incredibly athletic, he's good-looking, you know, played played football, you know, the 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 atypical athlete. You look at a guy like Daniel Bryan, you look at a guy like CM Punk, um, you know, those are regular guys. Regular. Not to say that, you know, and I'm not talking about body types. I'm talking about just regular. People feel something in common with them. Do you know why people like Stone Cold Steve Austin? Yes, Stone Cold Steve Austin was in shape and, and all this stuff. But we're not talking physical. People like Stone Cold Steve Austin because people felt a kinship with him. Whether it was, you know, rednecks shooting and hunting and drinking beer or the people that were anti-establishment, there was a connection. People felt that with a guy like Stone Cold Steve Austin. With The Rock, the connection was that people just wanted to be that guy. The Rock had that charisma and that presence that when the guy walked into a room, you're like, yo, I want to be that guy. You know, I want to be that guy. That was it. Goldberg, the same thing. You looked at Goldberg, the guy was a phenomenon, a presence. Again, yeah, he was a physical presence, but he was just an enigma. The quiet dude that just comes in and just, you know, beats people's asses. People, people can connect with that at those stages. In 2015, people connect with what is closest to them. This is why Rey Mysterio in the, in, in the Latino market is incredibly popular. Because people connect with that. One, obviously, from the heritage standpoint. But, you know, if you're a young kid that, you know, likes superheroes, maybe feels bullied, you may feel that Rey Mysterio, since he's always being harassed for his size and being underestimated for his size, you feel a kinship with that character. It happens. You know, John Cena, it's the same thing. You look at John Cena, he embodies those ideals, you know, the 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 truth, justice, and American way. The the essentially the Superman, the big blue boy scout of the WWE is John Cena. It's 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 as simple as that. And people people don't want to look at it that way. And it's not me being jaded or me trying to shit on on the ideas of other wrestling fans. On the contrary, we all view the wrestling business differently. But me being in in the position I'm in. I look at it from the standpoint that as much as people want to hate John Cena, John Cena is a necessary is necessary. You need that. You need that one guy that can break through into the mainstream. Now, I don't see John Cena being the next rock in terms of just Hollywood and all that shit. It's just not in his makeup, not because he doesn't want to do it, but just because he doesn't seem to have the drive to do that. The rock was on a whole other level. The rock knew that. It, there was more outside of wrestling. John Cena looks at it like wrestling is where I make wrestling is what makes me me. If if you wanna if you wanna give that any merit, same thing with a guy like Brock Lesnar. You look at Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar looks at professional wrestling as a means to an end. The same the same way he looks at MMA as a means to an end. And I say this because the guy wakes up every day. He realizes that you know he's an incredibly gifted collegiate wrestler national level wrestler he knows that he is a, a, an imposing force a, a dominant force in any sport he goes into so he's gonna go where there's the most money simple as that 
even in MMA, yes, Brock Lesnar will probably be defeated by the by the top three guys in the UFC heavyweight division. But the average man walking this planet probably can't whoop Brock Lesnar's ass, even if he tried his hardest on his best day, because the guy is just that. You know what I mean? And that's that's what I'm saying. Like some people, they just have certain places in this business. When it comes to professional wrestling, John Cena's place is in professional wrestling. You're not going to see John Cena in the next Marvel movie. It could happen, but it's just not the case. You're not going to see John Cena headlining some big Hollywood feature because I don't see that being something that John Cena is going to be doing. It's not He's not the guy. You know, The Rock transitioned to that because he knew that's what he was going to do. Stone Cold Steve Austin, he transitioned to that, but his transition was a little different because I feel in Stone Cold's case, he realized, yo, I just don't have it to be the box office draw that The Rock is. That doesn't mean that the, that Stone Cold is less talented. It just means that Stone Cold falls into a different niche. Like, you're not going to see Stone Cold in a romantic comedy. It's not going to fucking happen. Not going to see that. You're going to see Stone Cold Steve Austin in, you know, playing a prison guard or or playing the, 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 the number two guy to the main bad guy, or he's going to be playing a cop of some sort or some type of, of military guy. Like, you're not going to see Stone Cold in a romantic comedy or or anything like that. I mean, don't get me wrong. He, he, he can be funny. He was good in The Longest Yard, but you're not going to see that. You know, you're not going to see Stone Cold doing shit like that. It's just it's just not in his makeup. It's not not the way it works. Anyway, I am uh, going off on a little tangent and losing sight of uh, what we had to do. So let's get back on track. Uh, Paige and Brie Bella squared off in uh, the Divas match, which was, again, meh. It was very, very academic. And it's funny because, you know, they talk about anti-bullying and be a star and all this shit. Yet the Bellas are making fun of Paige's skin complexion. Just a, an interesting observation. You know, anti-bullying, be a star, all this shit. But yet here you are bullying and making fun of this chick because she's super pale. It's just amusing to me because, you know, on one side, it's, you know, this 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 big wholesome message. But then on the other side, it's, hey, check this out. We're going to bully the shit out of this chick because she's pale. And again, you know, one thing is one thing is real. One thing is make believe. But it's just it's just amusing to see that. Like, that's the that's one of the foundations of their feud. The fact that they. They want to make fun of Paige because she's ghostly pale. You know, it's just it's just amusing that, you know, wrestling Wednesday Adams um, is is in a feud with the Bellas and bullying is the undertone of the feud. Just it's just very, very, very amusing to me. We had a uh, nice little exchange between Cena and Rusev, of course, building up towards Fastlane. Uh, They use Rusev as kind of the catalyst to um amplify Cena's current eye injury that he has, which was fine. It served its purpose. Again, uh, John Cena making Rusev look strong, which is good. Um, I think, like I said before, Rusev has tremendous potential to be a major, major bad guy in the company. Lana, of course, is a big part of that. As I feel Rusev's promo work, I don't know if it's the, the exaggerated accent or what, but sometimes he just, you're going to kick my ass. I just, I'm just like, dude, just, you know, can can I just get a quarter water and some chips? Like, it just it just doesn't, like, Lana doing the talking for him works. Now, like I said, I don't know if it's an exaggerated Russian accent, but when he cuts a promo, I can't even take it seriously. I just want to fucking laugh at the guy versus, you know, Lana being um, a better factor in that situation. Again, we'll see what happens in Fastlane if Cena uh, actually gets the win over Rusev clean 
or if they are going to build build toward the inevitable WrestleMania showdown. The the Bray Wyatt Dolph Ziggler match, which um again very very good. Dolph Ziggler um again making Bray Wyatt look like a million bucks. Bray Wyatt, you can see where this is going. Obviously, they're trying to build Bray Wyatt towards the um the inevitable match with the Undertaker. I don't even know if that's going to happen given the rumors and speculation of the Undertaker's, uh, you know, physical ailments, knee issues, and countless other issues. We'll see if that's the case. But in any event, if you want to create a new phenom, Bray Wyatt definitely is is in the running to take that slot. I mean, you know, his wrestling is very solid, and Dolph Ziggler and him have great chemistry. I, I wouldn't mind seeing a long-term feud between those two guys, but I just feel that Bray Wyatt, given his his psychological approach towards feuds, would benefit from a feud with a guy who's a bit more on his level. Of course, it's easy to say, "Hey, we could get Bray Wyatt and Sting at WrestleMania," but I think Sting is on is on a, um he's on the inevitable crash course with Triple H. That's pretty much where I see that going. But who knows? It's a, it's a it's a couple of months before WrestleMania and things could change, but we shall see what happens. We got ourselves a Brock Lesnar appearance, which I'm sure is pretty much Vince McMahon sitting on the in the back, crossing another date off the calendar that Brock Lesnar has. Um, I will say this again: Paul Heyman leaps and bounds makes this makes Brock Lesnar's tenure in the company stomachable. I will say, Brock Lesnar for for the amount of times that he wrestles in 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 full matches definitely brings his A game. I mean, that match with him, Cena, and Rollins was amazing. But I also feel that a big part of what makes Lesnar's quote-unquote championship run successful is the fact that Paul Heyman goes out of his way to always assure audiences that Brock Lesnar is an attraction. Brock Lesnar's not the guy that shows up and he cuts a promo and he wrestles in some bullshit-ass match. Brock Lesnar's the guy that is that you're supposed to pay money to see. And I think to a degree, the rationale makes perfect sense. Yes, Brock Lesnar, we'd love to see him compete, you know, in some six-man tag match on Raw or, or you know, some, some bullshit match. But I understand the booking logistics when Paul Heyman is involved in making Brock Lesnar a feature attraction. Of course, I'd love to see the belt defended or the belt be acknowledged on a more consistent basis. But I do feel that the reasoning that Brock Lesnar's booking as an attraction works is because a guy like Paul Heyman goes out of his way to reinforce that. That's all I'm saying. We got Goldust and Stardust squaring off against the New Day. Of course, the seeds of dissension between the Dust Bros continues to be uh, reinforced. Um, It was mentioned on Twitter that on Monday we will be seeing the American Dream Dusty Rhodes get involved in the situation. Obviously, this is leading to the inevitable uh, feud and match between both guys and you know what? I don't mind. I feel that Goldust and Stardust, their um, their run as a tag team definitely had a lot more juice left in it. I mean, these are guys that could probably be a, a major cornerstone in your tag team division, but obviously WWE has other plans and feels that the Stardust character would benefit being on his own. I disagree. I mean, I think that, like I said, there's still more energy and more. there's more fuel left in them as a tag team, but... We'll see what happens if Stardust does indeed go solo. All right, so Triple H calls out Sting, called out Sting earlier in the evening. He came out, tried to call Sting out again, and 
they did a really great job, the production team, with Sting using the uh, the Titantron and a fake Sting to accept Triple H's quote-unquote challenge and meet him face-to-face at Fastlane. I felt that the, um, the WWE production company uh, did a great job with the video and the special effects. The fake Sting, eh, you know, it was, it was all right. But I think that using the Titantron and trying to take advantage of the fact that Sting is quote-unquote an enigma is the right way to go. Slick feels that the whole spot was awful and a complete waste of time. Considering how how subpar that Raw was, I disagree. And the reason I say that is because I feel that Sting is another guy. You don't need him on TV every week to make his his involvement work. On the contrary, the 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 exchange between him and Triple H at Fastlane is probably one of the big selling points because again, it's Sting showing up on pay-per-view. We've already had Sting show up on Raw. So having Sting show up on pay-per-view is fine. I think that going this route keeps keeps the character mysterious. And again, you know, you don't wanna you don't wanna throw him out there every week. Like the, it's like The Undertaker. Yeah, when The Undertaker was out there and he was feuding with somebody, you saw him, but sometimes you didn't see The Undertaker every week. You know, it's just, it's just, again, the, the uh, fueling the mysteriousness and the enigma of this particular character, you know, Slick says, who cares if Sting shows up? He's not doing anything. I understand where you're coming from with that, but Sting, you people, Sting was signed for a reason. You know what I mean? Yeah. He was signed obviously for the inevitable hall of fame run. He was signed for, you know, just getting one of the last free agents from, from the old school era. But the fact is that Sting, much like Brock Lesnar, is a special attraction. You know, Sting doesn't exactly have five-star matches in him. And if it's only going to take away from the product for five minutes, I'm willing to accept that because the big long-term payoff is Sting and Triple H. That's all that's happening. We're not getting Sting and The Undertaker, so we might as well continue to sow the seeds of Sting and Triple H because it's going to happen. You know, and... uh, while I understand, like you said, you know, who cares if Sting shows up? People people give a shit because people, his merchandise is selling. His merchandise is some of the top five selling merchandise on WWE.com now. And this is a guy that's only shown up on television, what, twice, maybe three times at best? But his merchandise sells. So again, Sting, Sting has use, but his use is very, very limited, you know? Slick says his merch would sell without him just popping up. Maybe it would, but you again, it's a means to an end. If if Triple H getting involved with Sting allows Sting to wrestle that one match and go into the Hall of Fame, I'll take it. Because like I said, we're not getting him and The Undertaker. It's not happening. Maybe him and Bray Wyatt, but eh, you know, it's 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 not gonna have the same flavor. Triple H has the work rate to at least get a decent match out of Sting. And that's what I look at. I look at the long-term picture. This is all build-up for WrestleMania anyway. And as much as Fastlane is being booked aggressively, Fastlane is just a fucking middle-of-the-road, rinky-dink pay-per-view. That's how I see it, you know? It's like they're trying to put all their eggs in this basket because they're giving people the free trial, and it's a new pay-per-view. At the end of the day, this is just a stop, a stopgap before WrestleMania, so they got to build it. You know, they got to build it as best as they can. Like I said, the broadcast as raw as a whole wasn't great, but there were far worse things than Sting putting the, the you know, writing I accept on the Titan Tron. Like I said, the fake Sting eh, could have been done a little better. Could have. But 
overall, there's worse things that were going on. Like, let's talk about the Usos versus Tyson Kidd and Cesaro. Tyson Kidd and Cesaro, of course, got the victory, but they're using Total Divas as the backdrop for feud uh, for this feud, which, again, I understand they want to do that and they want to kind of tie it or tie it full circle, bring it full circle, so to speak. But Tyson Kidd and Cesaro, you put them together, they're working as a unit. They're they're creating innovative offense and you're not marketing them the way you should. Like I said, you know, the tag team division in the WWE can be very, very good if they just applied a little bit more energy to it. And the reason I say this is because it's not like you don't have good tag teams. Yeah, you have a couple of, you know, rinky-dink joke tag teams, but overall you have good tag teams in the division. You have some good ones. I mean, we were talking about this, and I talked about this a little bit at length at work with one of my coworkers, and we were talking about the primetime players. Think about it. You break up Titus O'Neil and Darren Young. What did you gain from breaking them up? Absolutely nothing. Darren Young got hurt. Titus O'Neil got put with Heath Slater, who, who's been off TV because of his legal issues. But what else have you done with Titus O'Neil since breaking them up? The primetime players, that the crowd was into them. You know, they had a they had a night, you know, they had the dance, they had the millions of dollars. Everybody was into them. Yes, they weren't the greatest, but they were okay. You know, they were good for the division. And that's what I'm saying. Like tag team wrestling in the WWE has taken a serious backseat, which is crazy because you got good teams there. You know, you got the Usos, you got Goldust and Stardust, you got the New Day, whether you love them or hate them. You got Kid and Cesaro, which they should have some sort of a tag team name. Um you have Slater Gator, if you even want to call them that. Uh, you got the Matadors. You got teams. You have teams out there to create good tag team matches. But instead, again, like the like the secondary belts, like the US and IC titles, the belts are props. And those divisions are suffering. Same thing with the Divas division. Suffering. And after what I saw on NXT, that should not even be the case. And we'll get into that later on as well. The Miz took on Sin Cara, and of course, this continues to fuel the fires of the inevitable Miz Dow and Miz feud, which is fine. Again, it was what it was. Uh, the match was definitely not good. Um, correction, it wasn't. It was. It was Miz Dow. Thank you, thank you, Slick. It was Miz Dow, and the Miz was on commentary. And again, this was the means to an end. Uh, again, fueling fueling the fires of the inevitable breakup between the two. And like I said last week, and I'll reinforce it this week, yes, the payoff is going to be Miz versus Mizdow. But what are you going to do with Mizdow after this feud is over? Is he going to stay Mizdow? Is he going to go back to Damian Sandow? Like, what are you going to do at this point? Because you go, you went through all this trouble. You built the guy up. What's the long-term plan? <clears throat> the short-term plan is Miz Dow and the Miz and them settling it in the ring. But after it's all said and done, what happens with Miz Dow? He's not, you know, are you going to go back to your welcome coming out dressed like the genius? Like, what are you going to do at that point? Because if you're turning him face and you're trying to do this whole big thing, what's, what's the long-term picture? Because the short-term solution, of course, is the match with Miz, which is fine. But where are we going long-term? That's what I'm curious about. <clears throat> Excuse me. We saw a um another Curtis Axel Axel Mania segment, which of course was dethroned by Dean Ambrose, which 
was fuel for the Dean Ambrose Wade Barrett uh, collision course, which is fine. I think that them trying to put the focus back on the IC belt is good. I did like Bad News Barrett's BNZ segment. I think it was it was very amusing, and I think it's something that they should do on the regular. Like I've always said, Bad News Barrett should just go around delivering bad news to everybody. That should be it. Like the authority should pretty much task him with going out and delivering bad news. Like Roman Reigns and Daniel Bryan's match with with J and J security and the rest of the authority's goons should have been delivered by Bad News Barrett. It would have been funny. I just think that Bad News Barrett's character is is incredibly underutilized for as popular as he is. Slick says it'll be good to have Ambrose hold the IC belt after having been US champ. I totally agree. I agree 110%. So the last match of the night was Roman Reigns and Daniel Bryan against Seth Rollins, Kane, The Big Show, and J&J Security. Again, we knew where this was going to end. The dissension was going to be teased. And yes, exactly what is the case. Roman Reigns with the blind tag secures the victory for the team. Daniel Bryan is upset. Oh, look, Roman Reigns spears Daniel Bryan. Two things came out of this match. Number one, Daniel Bryan, super over. Number two, we may actually need to turn Roman Reigns heel by WrestleMania because I think that turning Roman Reigns heel at this point would create a, a, a bona fide feud for Daniel Bryan. Not to mention the fact that Roman Reigns being heel is a far departure being heel than Seth Rollins turning heel. And the reason I say this is because Roman Reigns can be a heel in the sense that he's just tired of playing by everybody's rules. And, you know, you can use that whole one versus the world uh, catchphrase for Roman Reigns and use that. And that'll be the basis for him being heel. Just, hey, nobody supports him. Nobody believes in him. I guess he's got to do it himself. One versus everyone. And that's it. Because Daniel Bryan is red hot. The crowd is into the character. And Roman Reigns is not gaining the traction that WWE wants to see him gain at this point. Hate to say it, but it's fucking true. All right, so let's switch gears. Let's let's jump into NXT, which, like I said, WWE definitely needs to take notice. The WWE roster was probably watching that NXT show and realizing that NXT is coming coming for that ass. It's not even a joke. They did. They took two hours and they gave us tremendous wrestling. Pretty much every match had its high points. There were a couple of low points, which whatever. But you know what it is. It, the the bulk of the card was tremendous. Hideo Itami and Tyler Breeze opened things up, started getting the ball rolling. I think Tyler Breeze did a great job of making Hideo Itami look good in that match. Um, The fact is that the match itself was a a great opener. Hideo Itami definitely looked uh, really good in this match, and I think that given probably another... Another three or four, another three or four events. Hideo Itami could probably transition to the main roster. I think, um, you know, part of the reason why he hasn't been addressed as a main roster guy is because of his, you know, obviously his transition from from Japanese to American culture and American wrestling. But the crowd is into his character. He doesn't need to do a lot in terms of promo work because the wrestling speaks volumes. Of course, we did get a GTS tease that once again, and the crowd popped for that huge which was nice, but um, overall, definitely a solid opener. I got to communicate from Slick as well. Uh, he wants to add to this discussion. Let me bring him on board. Slick, what's up, dude? What's up, man? 
Uh, going through this uh, this NXT situation, I know you and, and the Buried Boys and our very own Jay Santee did a live blog for it. I ended up watching it on tape delay when I got home, but um, definitely that Hideo Itami Tyler Breeze match was a great opener for the NXT Takeover Rival special. Yeah, I mean that was a, it was definitely a good opener. I mean, even though it was basically Diddy Kong versus Fake Jericho, it I mean. Both of them are, are great wrestlers. They have great moves. And it's like, it didn't really matter who won that match because they, they both, you know, because of the um, the number one contender tournament, they, they both had their beef with each other. Right. And the uh, Tommy pulling off the win at the end, it's like, you know, I'd be beaten again. Well, you know what What the good thing is? It's that you're starting to see that there's there's more to Hideo Itami when he's he's paired with really good opponents. Like, you know, his match with, with Finn Absolutely. Balor, his match with Finn Balor last week definitely reinforced that. But, you know, seeing him and, and Tyler Breeze, it also showed that Tyler Breeze has a lot to offer as well, other than him just being booked as, quote-unquote, another pretty face. Definitely great psychology, good storytelling. There was even a bit of old-school vibe to it. You know, I kind of felt it was uh, uh, pretty much Rick the Model Martell in there. With uh, Tyler Breeze. Well, yeah, because you have the, um, I mean, the whole point of the match started from the, the run-in during the very short-lived interview they tried to have with Hideo Tommy. Right. And, you know, Tyler Breeze beating his ass saying, I could have, you know, I could have been number one contender. No, you couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> Sad but true. Lost, buddy. Well, you know, we went from that match, which was a great opener, to the Baron Corbin-Bull Dempsey match, which... Again, with all the amount of build that they try to put into that match, it really took it took one of those it, let me let me rephrase that. It took all the momentum that it that it had going into the match and pretty much flushed it down the toilet. And it reinforced that A, Baron Corbin is not ready for the next level. B, Bull Dempsey, as much as they try to book this guy as like the net, like this badass dude is nowhere near you know, it's pretty much let, Bull Dempsey, any badass credibility he had got flushed down the toilet the minute Kevin Owens joined that roster, period. Well, any credibility that Bull Dempsey tried to have is automatically flushed down the toilet every time he comes to the ring because as his music is playing, if you notice, every time the music goes bull, the crowd goes shit. This is true. But that's also because the crowd, you know, uh, it, that 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 theme music makes it very easy for you to do that. It's very it's the same thing like with Kurt Angle's "You Suck" chants, you know, like that. Some sometimes the theme music they do the for these is, guys. If the crowd likes Bull Dempsey, if the crowd likes Kurt Angle, right? They wouldn't be going "You Suck" or "Bullshit," right? They wouldn't be saying that. That's it. But the the thing is that, like I said, creative kind of put themselves in a corner by giving him that music. Like I said, sometimes the theme music becomes the superstar's fucking enemy. And as for as for like, Baron Corbin, like King Kong Bundy was here. Yeah, but King Kong Bundy, dude, at least had some presence. Like they try to make it seem like Bull Dempsey's like this badass dude, and he's another one. It's like, yo, shouldn't you be wearing the fucking orange construction jacket and wear and waving a flag on Junction Boulevard? You know, like like yeah. shouldn't shouldn't you and Rusev be working in the fucking deli together? Cause I, cause I'm no, saying he's that, that guy, he's that guy that you see on the, the freaking F train hitting the 179 to like 11:30 p.m. in that last seat. You're just like, damn, that dude stinks. Yeah, that he's a, he, he. 
the the thing is, like I said, before Kevin Owens got signed, they were like, yeah, yo, Bull Dempsey's this badass fucking dude, man. And you see that the commentators try so hard to put him over as like this bad motherfucker. And then, you know, Baron Corbin comes out and, you know, uh, the minute his music hits, all you hear is just chicks screaming. I'm like, yo, are, are they going to start throwing underwear on stage? You know, like you just, he just, they, they have a, they, they've realized like, yo, this is a guy that we can make like the next fucking, the next big thing. The only problem with that motherfucker is that his moveset is incredibly limited and he's just not in ring shape. Baron Corbin could be the next Val Venus if they, you know, they polish him up. Well, no, well, no, I think I like the badass lone wolf gimmick. I was saying that one of the things that he would need if he came up to the main roster is he needs to come out on the bike because, you know, they try to book him and the, you know, the, his video packages and shit show him up with these motorcycles and shit. Like he should come out with that, you know, ride out on a badass fucking chopper. It would look cool. It would work. It would add to his character, but two other things need to happen. Needs to get in some better fucking shape, you know, because it's like every time I see the motherfucker on camera, it's like, dude, what is that fucking flabby patch over your fucking either get bigger tights or fucking lose 10 pounds. One of the two, because the shit looks weird. Fucking quato, like fucking quato flap. <laughs> like, yo, what the fuck, man? Well, if they bring him out on the bike, then he didn't even need to get in shape. Because, you know, bikers usually, they got, they got some big biceps, and then they got a gut. Right, right. But at least at that point, he comes out on the bike, he keeps the vest on. You know, it, look, it looks okay. But the minute the vest comes off, and they the, the reason why the vest has to come off is because they want to show his crazy-ass tattoos because it's inevitable that that shit's going to end up on a T-shirt. It's like, yo, your tattoo screams put me on a T-shirt. That's what that is. That. You know, but the problem is you got one guy who's not ready and the other guy who has been, you know, who just doesn't have it. Like, Bull Dempsey would look... Bull Dempsey is Brooklyn Brawler 2K15. Really is like you look literally, at the dude. Literally, he's yep. from Brooklyn. Yeah, literally, he's Brooklyn Brawler. Brooklyn Brawler 2K15. Like I said, it was they took that. That should have been the opener instead of Hitami and Tyler Breeze because it's like the crowd was super energetic, and then it was like, "Yo, I'm fucking whooping your ass," and anything that you, any momentum you had as like a badass dude went out the window because Bull Dempsey ate that no, end I'm of not days. Mad at the- the way they did it because yes you have this great opener and then you know people eat the co- eat concessions during the first match so you know they need to go <laughs> go take a shit back <laughs> yeah dude but then it's like baron corbin was going to use the chair then he just sits there i'm like what the fuck is he tired but it's like they 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 the way they really lost the crowd the crowd was behind bull dempsey for a second because with him being from from new york they were looking for the Dudley ball, but they even said, get the table. And when he lifted the ring, uh, the, the um, mannequin, the crowd went insane. And then when he just pulled out nothing, they were like, oh, fuck this match. Well, you know what the thing was? You created this entire no disqualification stipulation, and you didn't really take advantage of it. I thought they were going to do the... Nothing di- with it. Right. And I thought that the no DQ stipulation was going to be used... To hide the flaws, like I always say, you know, exe- you know, exemplify, um, reinforce the good and hide the bad. You know, like Paul Heyman says. And I thought, hey, they're gonna do a no DQ match. That means that Bull Dempsey's gonna hit this motherfucker with a steel chair and all this shit, and you'll hide a lot of the flaws. And that wasn't the case. It's like, yo, why make a stipulation at that point? It was fucking worthless. Basically. 
So, so you had no no weapons. Right. Barely had any, any use, really had no use of weapons. So what was the point? No, I agree. The other the other thing I did want to mention, you know, and and you had mentioned this to me was the tag team match. So I watched the tag team match, and first of all, Blake and Murphy getting the tag team titles was super random when I saw it happen. I was like, oh yeah, okay. And then I realized that the reasoning was obviously they were, you know, Sin Cara was going to be back on the main roster, and they were the rumors of the gimmick change for Kalisto. So I watched the match. And the match definitely had its fair amount of botches. But I also realized that, you know, when tag team title matches are on the are on the horizon, you usually get one or two warm-up matches between the teams. You know, maybe singles competition between each teammate, and then you get the tag team title match. I felt that that wasn't really, really utilized effectively. And that, that was one of the reasons why the botches was there. There was a lot of disconnect between the offense. Between both guys. Dude, Kalisto messed up getting in the ring. How do you botch getting into the ring? Yeah, but you know what it is, dude? Kalisto's pretty fucking crisp. You know, motherfuckers fuck up any day of the week. The The one that got me was Sin Cara missing the Hurricane Rana, like, completely and just falling on his ass. <laughs> and I'm like, fuck, you can't even hide that if you tried. And it was like, it was like the announce team was like, oh, Sin Cara did not get all of that. It's like... He, he didn't get any of it because the motherfucker didn't even grab him. They were like, oh, he didn't he didn't get all of that. I was like, yo, come on. But you know what it is? Like I said, it was just a contrast in styles. And, and you know, like I said, Sin Cara usually is pretty crisp out there. Again, new Sin Cara. You know, Hunico. Hunico's pretty crisp out there. And Kalisto, dude, Kalisto moves so fucking fast that I'm shocked that he doesn't botch more often. Because that dude is a fucking ping pong ball when he's in there. And that's part of the reason. That mask is like the the cover of of the Madden games. Like whoever wears that mask is like doomed to botch. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a funny way of looking at it. I just see it as there's always going to be a necessity for a mass luchador because again, kids love that. But I feel that putting I think one of the reasons they put Kalisto with Sin Cara is because Kalisto by himself, they felt I think they feel that he's not credible enough to beat most of those guys on that roster because he's so small. I think Which, they're afraid of that. I mean, it doesn't make all that much sense, you know, when you have uh, Rey Mysterio's legacy. Right, exactly, and that's exactly it. Like, everybody's always said that Kalisto's being groomed as the next Rey Mysterio. And if you look at the merchant, the way the mask that he wears and the presentation, the kids like that shit. Like, it's good. I just feel that... Putting him in a tag team with 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 Sin Cara, it w- was I always felt that hey the reason why they put these two in a tag team is because they're going to go up to the main roster as a tag team and they're going to sell a shitload of masks and merchandise, and then it was just like oh Sin Cara's on the main roster wrestling by himself. I'm like okay, it just it was it just seemed but really you'll weird. Notice that, you'll notice that several NXT superstars are. A little bit on the small side. They they don't look small in NXT, but I mean, like they announced that they were Tommy. Like, how often do you hear of a WWE wrestler that's under two hundred pounds that's not a diesel? Yeah, I mean, you know what it is though, but but that's just a, a changing of of the you know of just the culture of pro wrestling. We you know we talked about that. Like I said, we're 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 slowly moving away from the era of the big 
of the big super jack guys. And the reason is obviously not that there's not going to be big super jack guys, but it's not, it, there's less of them, if you notice. Easily. Even if you look at the, the quote-unquote small guys in WWE, like formerly CM Punk and now, uh, what's the name, Daniel Bryan, they're, they're both over two. Right, they're both over two, but like Hideo Itami is, you know, I think that Hideo Itami's body fight, um, his body type, excuse me, is conducive to just the way, you know, the way it is in Japan. If you watch like New Japan wrestling and you watch any of that, a lot of the Japanese wrestlers' body types are just very normal. You know what I mean? Which is, which is, you know, it's not, it's not a, a dig at those guys at all. It's just very regular. Like you look at me, like, all right, cool, you know. No, I mean, it doesn't hurt him so much because, I mean, first of all, he, he's well-built. He doesn't look like he's that small. Right. But it's like, you bring him, if he comes up to WWE, he's literally going to be getting tossed around. I mean, look at the triple threat match in, in the Rumble. I, I would, I mean, I even said it, I would be kind of scared to see Seth Rollins, and I, I am kind of scared if, if it does go that way, to see Daniel Bryan wrestle Lesnar by himself because they're giving up like 100 pounds right there, literally. No, I... And I, I not even trying. I'm not... Because Lesnar is a, is a very good wrestler to, you know, to work with and not get hurt and stuff, but you see the way he tossed freaking Rollins around, like that one... That one... Um, the one German back suplex where he just landed on his freaking neck and shoulder. Right. I was like, oh God, he's dead. And and you think about it, Rollins is uh, I mean not Rollins. Brian is weight wise smaller than Rollins. No, I understand that. I think I think that Hideo Atami and a lot of these guys, I always I always feel that they're always constantly improving from a physical standpoint. So by the time they get up to the main roster, they're going to have a slightly different look. Like if you look at like Wade Barrett, like you see Wade Barrett now, he's more lean. He's more athletic looking. You know what I mean? Than when he first debuted, but that's because yeah. they, they, that's, I, I can see that. And if you look at, you know, Dean, Dean Ambrose is a great example. Look at Dean Ambrose when he was in the shield and look at Dean Ambrose. Now, you notice he's more, a, a little bit more athletic in build. And that's just because, their their training regimens change the the you know they start being they start being schooled on hey you got to look a certain way because of the camera and this and that like NXT you got to remember is taped and edited and cut and chopped and screwed you know what i mean to make it to make it look a certain way plus the way that the lighting is done in NXT is a lot different yeah. So, more of like a house show. Right. So it's more intimate. So what's going to happen is that's going to that's going to hide a lot of the quote unquote physical flaws. But when you get onto the main stage, when you get onto the WWE, you know, when you get into Raw and SmackDown, you a lot of these guys they undergo even more of a change. But it's it's funny that you mentioned the ex shield members because you got to remember they had the they always had like the the jackets and the vests right. and stuff. So it's like at the time you couldn't even tell that that freaking Rollins actually was you know not a really tiny guy because exactly. Ambrose and Reigns he's a lot smaller but he's not that small a dude at all exactly and you couldn't tell it's like freaking Ambrose just looked like a bum out the street but <laughs> Ambrose is you know decently built himself. But that, but that's what I mean. Like you look at that, and that's what I mean. It's the transition 
from one to the other. Like like Adrian Neville. Adrian Neville got no problems. <laughs> He's good to go. You know what I mean? Which the reason yeah. I'm mentioning him obviously is because him and Finn Balor. But you know, you look at Adrian Neville, you look at Finn Balor, those guys, you know, they've worked in front of the hard camera, you know, like New Japan Pro Wrestling, you know, other promotions. They know what the deal is, you know? Yeah, those those arenas are huge. So like, you know, when you watch, like, we watched that, that you know, the number one contenders match, and I, I mentioned it also as a segue. You look at that number one contenders match, everything about that match, like, a lot of people were kind of complaining that there was, you know, the pace was kind of slow, which I thought I thought was, was stupid because you needed the slow pace because you knew where, where what the buildup was going to be. You knew it was going to start slow to feel it, you know, the, the, the feeling out process. And then the shit was just going to get turned on, turned on its fucking head. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah. The announcers were pissing me off saying that because freaking, um, guys like that, I mean, they, they're capable of high speed wrestling. Absolutely. And right. High flying wrestling, but you can't do that from start to finish for like 20 minutes. It's like, plus you got to tell a story. Out. You got to laughing. I said, you got to tell a story. Yeah, I mean, I that that was the match of the night for me. Well, you know what's that funny? Match was fantastic. Those guys went almost fifteen minutes, and and from bell to bell, it was just great, great wrestling. They started with a little bit of mat wrestling, a little bit of chain wrestling. Then we started getting into some more high flying. We had some shades of Japanese strong style, and and you know, it just it really, really worked. And then I actually I saw somebody on Twitter complaining. They were like, "Yo." You think Finn Balor's going to wear some different paint? You know, he does wear other shit. And it's like, you have to understand, they created a t-shirt already with that. Like, he's got to use that for a bit. Besides the fact that it takes five, I mean, it I, takes I, five I, plus hours. Thing, but dude, it takes five plus hours for hit, for that to get ready. Like, if they started creating the, 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 um, the merchandise already with the kind of a, you know, the carnage kind of a look which already is, is, you know, risky in itself, just let it rock, man. Like, like if you notice, even this design, while it did look similar to the Carnage design, was was different because, like, he had wings on the back and shit, you know? Yeah, I was thinking, like, it was a little bit toned down from the first time. Well, no, he added more detail. If you look like the shoulders and stuff had different types of tendrils painted in, and then he had the wings drawn on the back and like a tail and shit. So it went from looking like carnage to kind of looking like a dragon, you know? So again, they, they, the look of, of, of that, you know, like if you're going to, if you're going to harp on the fucking face paint, it's like, listen, the dude's supposed to, and, and he said this in, in interviews already. He's like, yeah, I, I, the, the, the paint is for special occasions. You know, this event was a special fucking occasion. And I'm sure if the guy comes onto the main roster, you're going to see a different paint job for, you know, WrestleMania versus, you know, the Rumble versus Survivor Series. But again, it's like the dude has one shirt out that has the Carnage style design. Like, let the shit gain some traction before you complain, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I mentioned it when I was doing a lot of blog, but it was a minor thing. I just said, you know, Oh no, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't come to the ring as carnage, but so many times. That's right. All I was saying. But, but I didn't. I didn't notice like that you, you wrote said, it. It's just very good. No, I said I didn't notice that you wrote it. No, but yeah, let it rock this time. No, I when I I, I saw dudes on Twitter like, yo man, he could have came out as as Bane, or he could have came out as the Joker, or he could have came out. It's like yeah, he could have, but you got to remember, 
this shit is being watched and WWE doesn't want to deal with the fucking the cease and desist. It's the same shit when they had Rhino on the roster. When he had his name spelled R-H-I-N-O like Rhino, Marvel fucking said something. So that's why when he was in WWE, it was R-H-Y-N-O. Like him coming out as yeah. Carnage, you can't even acknowledge that it's Carnage. They just go, oh, he goes into this dark place. Meanwhile, comic fans are like, oh, shit, you know, because he's a comic fan. Exactly. But the match, dude, the match was amazing. Basically, that flying stomp, I was like, oh, my God. Dude, the first flying stomp he did on the back of his fucking head, I I marked out. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, dude, I marked out like a fucking, like a kid. I was like, yo, that shit was legit. Looked like some Seth Rollins shit. Oh, yeah, dude, everything. both feet. Everything about that match was was tremendous, and then you sw- you went from that amazing match to the Divas, and the Divas, even though the roll-up ending I wasn't a fan of, because again, you know, it's a big event, and the roll-up ending doesn't work, it's like, it's a small complaint considering the amount of work those women put in that match. Oh, they definitely put it in work. I mean, freaking, when Becky talked Sasha, I was like, Jesus Christ. There were there were a and lot of great spots. I, I was kind of upset that Bailey didn't win. I was like, I was like, yeah, Bailey's that high school girl, never been kissed, never been champ. <laughs> well, you know what it is with Bailey too. It's Bailey's always going to be the proverbial underdog because when they do decide to give her the belt, it's going to be like that big special moment. You know, like the confetti's going to rain and the fucking blowy dudes that that she has that 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 light up when when she's out. You know what I mean? Like it's going to be big because it's going to be that moment. You know, that big moment. I agree, and I mean, Charlotte, I mean, she she would have, <clears throat> she would have deserved to retain, but they could definitely get a good war between her and Sasha going. Right. And, because um, Charlotte is, you know, she lives up to the name. She, she's a walking good news, bad news. Good news is she's Ric Flair's daughter, and she's a fantastic wrestler. Bad news is she's Ric Flair's daughter, and... She looks exactly <laughs> like Ric Flair. You know, you know what's funny about that though. I, I I felt that her dropping the title to Sasha is because of the inevitable call up to the main roster. And between you and I, if you're gonna call her up and you're gonna have her feud with the Bellas on some fucking total divas shit, then leave her in NXT. Like I kind I kind of feel protective of everybody in NXT because it's like they're gonna go up to the main roster and they're gonna fucking get shit on immediately. <laughs> Yeah, what gonna happen? Freaking attention. Yeah, well, but they they seem like they're they're starting to groom them a little bit better, and I hope they continue that trend. But if they bring Charlotte to the WWE, I want her to never show up on Total Divas because they had that originally had that rule that a diva well somebody on Total Divas right. would never be the champ. Right, and. The way the Bellas are going, their whole thing will be that Charlotte's ugly. Yep. Or or just the fact that, you like, think of the story that was told for this Divas match. Like, it was a real story. Like, you know, the animosity, Bailey got tired of fucking being, being saved. You know, Sasha felt that she, she did. Like, everybody had a story going into this match. Everybody had a stake. Everybody had something invested in this match. And honestly, it worked. Yeah, but after that, Bailey the Belly over off the top rope, I, I just felt that Bailey should have won that. I'm not mad at, at Sasha winning. Well, it's but, like you know, go ahead. honestly, any of them could have won that match, and then yep. that's that yep. makes for a good fatal four way. It's like 
I, I had a bad feeling that they were really going to pull a Ric Flair when Charlotte got taken out early in the match. I thought she was going to like be absent for the whole match and then just show up at the end and win. Because, I mean, that would be some classic Ric Flair shit, but at the same time, that's one of the reasons why I always disliked Ric Flair because he was such a dirty player. Right. But he did her thing in that, in that ring. And when uh, Sasha, she definitely earned the title because she literally got the nastiest in that ring. Like, she was, she was beating bitches up. No, I, I, I felt like I said, it was great storytelling. And again, you know, it with the you can see that the women's division with good writing, good storytelling, and good athletes gives us good matches. And like you said, I, I'm I'm scared to see any of them. Yep. Go to WWE. Well, I say this though: when Bailey does win the belt, dude, like I said, it's it's the it's the uh, you know the her underdog victory, her finally winning the belt is going to be the Daniel Bryan confetti shower. You know, it's going to be confetti and the blowy dudes and, and her holding the belt above her above her head and then, you know, fading to black and everybody's like, yeah, you know, like when Sami Zayn won the belt. And I think that in that respect, it, it creates a more intriguing story. I mean, you know, you got Sasha Banks, the quote unquote most popular girl, you know what I mean? And then you got Bailey, who, you know, you use the, the never been kissed analogy, but there is there is a valid story there, you know? I agree. And it'd be nice if the Divas division took note. Yep. Well, it's like I said before Before we started talking about NXT. It's like, you know that the main roster was watching this fucking card, and they were like, fuck. <laughs> yeah, it's like, like they kept saying, you know, you step your game up. What the fuck? Well, dude. Every time NXT comes on, it's like they show you up every yep. time. Well, that leads to the, to the next, you know, to the main event, and um, we'll go into the wrestling news to wrap things up. The... Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, I told everybody, and you and you know this better than anyone, on every show, do yourselves a favor. YouTube, um, El Generico and, and Kevin Steen and Ring of Honor and the feud that they had and the and the amount of time that they that they that they feuded. And it's like, you know, somebody sent me a text and they were like, yo, man, what the fuck? They already took the belt off of Sami Zayn, and all I responded was, Wait, wait. Yeah, it's like don't what they took the belt off. It's like what wait. Do you mean he won't get it back? Well, besides that, it's not even that. It's just the fact that the the storytelling between these guys does not begin and end with one show. Like, I'll be honest, this this is a rock and stone cold type of a situation. This is this is a rock and Triple H. This is a rivalry that that can play out from NXT to the main roster, and every time it'll be slightly better than the last. This is only the this is the tip of the iceberg. Like people and I that's why I tell people all the time, like, yo, WWE's not the end all be all. Do your fucking homework. Like Kevin Steen and and and, and you know, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn have been beating the fuck out of each other for years. Like the picture I put in the uh, you know, for you guys in the in the Facebook group group message. It was right. a, you know, that it was, you know, Zayn uh you know, Generico and Steen and what was it? Two thousand twelve. And here we are, 2015, and those and those two fucking guys are still at it. You know what I mean? They get good matches. I mean, when um, when Zane went over the ref, that I mean, that was nuts. Dude, the crowd. The second time he did it, I I don't think he really meant to hit his head <laughs> on that freaking ref. Dude, the crowd was on their feet the entire time. 
the entire time. And Kevin Steen, if you wanted to know how to book a guy and make him a monster, that's how you book a guy and you make him a monster. It seemed like they kind of just just slightly borrowed from the the Lesnar scene of SummerSlam match with the four power bombs. I bu- I I kind of felt they and, did. But I mean, it, it did it did its thing. I mean, I don't feel like you know putting calling out K favorites. That's what they Stone Cold said is dead now. But just calling that out for a second, I don't think that it was really the power bombs that did it. I I really think it was the power bombs after the fact that he smacked his head on that ramp. Yeah, well, I think that was part of it, and I just felt that the story that was being told was the fact that Kevin Owens, you know, the way the way they're booking Kevin Owens, it's like, yo, this guy is a bona fide fucking psycho. You know, like, this guy is that, that this guy is a badass motherfucker. Like, that's what they did, and the booking was successful. Like, Sami Zayn is, oh, Sami Zayn is in NXT Daniel Bryan. You know what I mean? The crowd loves him. The crowd is going to be behind him. The crowd is going to support him. But he's got to overcome the odds a little bit. And I think that by doing that, it's like, yo, you know, Steen comes in while Owens comes in, whoops his ass, takes his belt. Now, once again, you know, Zayn has to go. And, you know, you're going to invoke your rematch clause, which they may save for the next NXT. Or who knows? They may drag this out and we may get an NXT match during WrestleMania as a special attraction. That'll be cool. But what I, I kind of would want to see, I want to see, I would like to see Zayn lose a couple of times against Dempsey, just for the fact that against Dempsey, against Owens. You mean? Sorry, not Dempsey. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. Wrong. I, I meant Owens. <laughs> I want to see him lose against Owens a couple of times, and like maybe you know get quote unquote in, injured, right? And have some of the other guys go after him. Like I kind of want Owens to hold the belt for a while. I would like that too, but you know what the problem is? The problem is that the storytelling between Zayn and Owens has to be played out over the long term. So you kind of need Zayn always in the mix. So it's like like Balor winning. Balor winning is great, and I think it opens up uh, the the floodgates for great matches, it, whether it's against Owens or against uh, Sami Zayn. But the fact is that, like I said. The feud between these guys is not a one pay-per-view resolution. <laughs> this is, like I said, this is a story that you can start and stop multiple times, and those guys are just going to go out there and kill each other every time. But with Balor as the number one contender, do you see if Sami Zayn gets his belt back, do you think he'll be taking it from Owens or from Balor? I think he'll probably take it from. He'll probably take it from Owens. And the reason I say this is because it's inevitable that Sami Zayn gets brought up to the main roster because Sami Zayn is probably the most complete guy they got on that roster. Plus, you know, he has he has, you know, familiarity internationally. So, you know, they can start filling that void on the roster with another international guy. I mean, you know, they kind of have that with Cesaro already, you know, guys that just can go and 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 do multi multilingual broadcasts and be involved in other projects. So I think Sami Zayn has that, and I think it'll work. Plus, I know that Balor and Steen is another match that's just going to be tremendous. And I know that Steen that uh, Balor's not coming up to the main roster without being NXT champion at least once. That's why I was about to ask you. You think that they would bring up Zayn before Neville? I think Zayn and Neville will probably come up 
either at the same time or one after the other. And the reason I say that is because those two guys can keep that magical momentum that they had in NXT on the main roster. Like, if they're smart, they would bring them up. The NXT, NXT superstars should be brought up two at a time, especially if they've worked together. Because it would be a good way to just reestablish and continue that rivalry on the main roster and then kind of just set, you know, kind of break off, branch out from there. Like, Neville and Zayn continuing that rivalry for, I don't know, the IC title or the US title to kind of get the, the ball rolling would be a good way. And then you just start transitioning them out from there. I think that would be a better formula because then you start allowing fans on Raw and SmackDown to see those epic matches, to see those great you know, those great wars and those great battles. I think they need to start, like, having NXT people come up more as a surprise instead of the way they did, like, what they did with Bo Dallas and the Hope O'Leary. Like, let's say if, the, if, the, if tonight's takeover had happened a few months ago. Right. Like, say Sammy Zayn was coming up to the, to the main roster. Have him come in as one of the entrants in the Rumble. Oh, yeah, no that would have been great. Just have them come in. Yeah, I would have loved like, that. Just when they, when they announce that these guys are coming, it's like they just do it so wrong. But the that's... whole lead gimmick was terrible. Yeah. The the advertisements for the Ascension were terrible. Yep. So they were in here. It's like, just stop trying. Just, just have them come up. Stop trying to change the gimmick around and what? just have them come up. Well, you know what the problem was, too? Like, take a guy like Adam Rose. The Exotic Express and all that shit worked in NXT because it was a smaller venue. It was more intimate, so the crowd can participate more effectively. Adam Rose doing that shit in an arena with 70,000 people, nobody gives a shit. Yeah, so the goofy stuff, I'm not saying everything in NXT is goofy, but the goofy stuff works in NXT. Right. It's because they, they, I mean, they write it better for one thing. Right. And it's like... That that's when you do change, you know, the 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 superstars image and everything. When they have something stupid like that. Exactly. Don't bring that into WWE. They could have did anything else with him and it probably would have worked better. I mean, you have him wrestling against a guy in a rabbit suit. The only the only guys in NXT that can come to WWE with their existing gimmicks and still work are the Vaud villains and Enzo and Kaz. That's it. And the vaude villains only because, you know, they, they do the thing, the switch to black and white. You know what I mean? Like, there's extra, there's effects behind it, you know? Yeah. And Enzo and Kaz are just fucking goons, so that works. Like, like they don't they don't need much. Jesus Christ. <laughs> 2K15 nasty boys. Well, you know what's funny? We were, me and, me and Josh were talking about it. If Enzo and Kaz came up to the main roster, they'd have to come up with Carmella, and I would put... Bubba Ray Dudley with them, you know, just using his Bully Ray persona from TNA because he's from Brooklyn. So just do that, like just just like a like a goon squad. It could work. Right? It, I mean, who knows what is even going to keep using Bubba Ray? It's like I mean, it's been a couple of weeks we haven't seen him in, in Raw or SmackDown, and so who knows if they're even going to use him properly? Yeah, but I'd I'd use him in that why, capacity. Why they would, I don't know. I'd use him in that capacity. Maybe put him in the in a tag team with 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 well, put him in a stable. That way, you know, you can kind of move away from his association with Devon like they did in TNA. 
Like, don't get me wrong. Him and Devon, it's always going to be there, and it's something that's always waiting in the background. But you can use him to help an established guy like 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 Kaz and, and Enzo get over. You know what I mean? That's where I always talk about, like, the pairing of veterans and rookies because there's a right way and a wrong way to do it. You know, like I said, like, like if Kane would have been the manager for the Ascension, it would have worked better. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, they should have had him return as the Demon King. Yep. And just, like, even if you just have these guys wear freaking shitty hockey masks, it's better than that face paint they have on. Well, the other the other thing... Horrible yeah. drapes they wear. <laughs> the other... The other thing that we were talking about and, and, and Josh gave you know gave this gave me this idea and it was crazy. If you want to do something cool with Eric Rowan, you just have him get his ass kicked by Kane, right? And all of a sudden, you know, the next week on Raw, Kane walks into his office and the display with his mask is missing. So he goes out there and he cuts a promo, he's like, Yo, where's my mask? You know, this isn't funny. As the director of operations, I value my property. You know, just real typical Kane shit. And then all of a sudden have Eric Rowan come out with the fucking cane mask on and say that he's the devil's favorite demon now. It would oh, work. Yeah, had freaking, what's the name do that considering all the shit he's been talking lately? Freaking um, Bray Wyatt. Yeah, but, but with it's Rowan... That mask would work too well with his hair. Well, no, I think, I think with Eric Rowan it would work because the cane mask nowadays has the stupid hair attached to it. Plus... You could get That's it. You, what I said it wouldn't work with, with Bray Wyatt. Oh, with Bray Wyatt. Gotcha. Yeah, but it would it would work with Rowan, and you could start shifting him away from you know from the stupid sheep mask gimmick that he's kind of stuck in, and then you could kind of give it a shot in the arm because then he'd come out and he you know Kane will be like you know I want my mask back blah 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 you're not you're not you know you're never gonna be me. And Eric Rowan's going to, you know, you could just utilize, like, Eric Rowan being like, I don't need to be you because I'm going to be better than you ever were. And just have him just do extra sadistic shit, you know? I'm not talking I'm not talking about setting Jim Ross on fire again, but, you know, that might work. Set <laughs> <laughs> Triple H on fire. Yep, just set Triple H on fire. Like, Eric Rowan comes out, and, you know, Triple H is like, no. No, I'm not going to go through this again. I went through it once with Kane. I'm not going to go through it with you and just have Eric Rowan just go into the office and attack him and try and set him on fire. Oh, I'd be crazy, dude. Stephanie McMahon screaming. Oh, my God. <laughs> anyway, I, I wanted to. They really need to do something with Rowan because they, they should. They seem lost. Yep, they, they seem really lost. Seem lost when, when he's not in the ring, he just stands there staring at this broken ass sheep mask. And yep. It's like, okay. Exactly, but what? So then, why not just have him go and steal Kane's mask? You know what I mean? Like, like have like have John Cena or somebody be like, you know, you're more than you're more than a mask. You know, you're 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 a talented superstar. You know, you're 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 on the brink of being, uh, you know, something special, something unique. And then just have him like have a match with Kane and just have Kane like stomp on the mask. And then, like I said, the next week Kane goes into his office and his mask is gone. You know, you could just have like Rowan be like, you know, you took you took away who I am. I'm gonna take away who you are. Like at least in that from that perspective, you're gonna do something with Kane that's meaningful because it's essentially a passing of the torch. You know, that would actually be pretty cool. That's why it'll never happen. Exactly because you know that involves common sense. Anyway, I did want to shift gears and just go through the uh, the other news of the week. Um, Chael appeared on TSN's Off the Record and said that both him and Vanderlei received invitations from the WWE to appear at WrestleMania weekend. Now, 
Of course, WWE is denying it, but um, supposedly F4W Online is reporting that, you know, Chael will be at the Hall of Fame ceremony and at WrestleMania, and there's even a rumor that WWE is scouting him for a color commentating position. Thoughts? As a commentator, he would be fantastic. I mean, you know, the level of shit-talking and not too many people are going to step to him like they would a Michael Cole. Right. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if even he could save that table there. I mean, they, they might just need to get rid of everybody and just let him be there by himself. Dude, but I wouldn't mind seeing Chael do it because Chael has that over-the-top persona. Like, he would be, he's a good, like, secondary JBL. You get what I'm saying? Like, on SmackDown. Like, keep JBL on Raw if you want to go with that, with him and Maggle, you know, and then put Chael on, on SmackDown. One, because SmackDown is tape, and it'll allow him to get comfortable. But two, I think that he would be a good, like, you know, kind of a heel commentator. I'm just trying to think of how they would do the pairing because as much as I love Booker T, Booker T really needs to go on the road, but then again, so does Michael Cole. <laughs> and um, it's like watching NXT tonight, it's like, it's, it's so not difficult to be a good commentator. I mean, you got Albert who, you know, was just a wrestler before this, and he's fantastic. I mean, for one thing, if, if you listen to him, don't you think that Albert kind of sounds like Jesse Ventura? He does sound a little bit like the body, but you know what I like about him on commentary? Albert being in Japan and working in Japan is good because he's able to kind of give a little backstory for guys like Hideo Itami and Finn Balor. You know what I mean? Like he He's able to shed some light on those guys because he has experience in Japan, and you can kind of see that when he tries to put them over. Oh, no, and I, I, um, I was going there with that, but I'm just saying it's like, you have the voice, and you have the talent for the job. Right. It's like, who, who needs Michael Cole? Well, the thing with Michael I Cole... Mean, you, could, you could bring... Go ahead. I mean, Michael Cole really only works if you have Jerry Lawler there, and we don't have Jerry Lawler there anymore, and we might not have Jerry Lawler there anymore. Right. No, it's true. Well, the way the way I look but at I mean, it... Really, they need to, to get a, a new a new um, law bench, and maybe they just have Michael Cole start doing interviews again. Well, the way I look at it is like this. Michael Cole pretty much was the dis- a disciple under Jim Ross. So the idea was that Ross gets written off, you know, Ross gets removed and Cole becomes the voice of Raw. And, you know, that's debatable whether he's good or bad. But the problem is that you can't you can't have that. You always need wrestling is like this to me. And I always feel if you're going to do a three man booth, you need a play by play, a heel announcer and a color commentator. Now, when people ask, but aren't they all the same? No. A color commentator is going to give you, you know, little anecdotes, like like what Jerry Lawler does. A heel announcer is going to always side with the villains, and then your play-by-play guy is going to call the match, and I mean really call the match. The problem with Michael Cole is that he kind of falls into trying to be a color guy and a play-by-play guy, and he can't do – he can only do one really well – and not the other. In other words, he's good as a color guy, but his play-by-play. Play. Yep, his play-by-play play is shit. Dude, his play-by-play play is shit. You know, like, if you look, play-by-play, play, Joey Styles, Play-by-play, Mauro Ronaldo. Play-by-play, Jim Ross. Play-by-play, play, Mike Tanay. You know what I mean? Whether you like him or play not. Play-by-play. Paul Heyman. The one that did work that was play-by-play, play, 
and heel announcer at the same time, and it worked, was Jesse Ventura. Yep. He was one of the few, but that was because Jesse Ventura was, you know, a showman. And even Vince, Vince was more a commentator than a play-by-play guy. Like, commentator Gorilla Monsoon, you know? Yes. Well, I really, Gorilla Monsoon was more of a of a, um, a play-by-play. He was just sort of a play-by-play and a commentator. And I would say that Jim Ross was the, the color commentator and sort of the play-by-play. Right. Because, you know, he, he could call a match very well down the line. But then, you know, he, oh, my God, I'm not stick right. a fork in him. No, so I actually stick a fork in him as well, Monsoon. Right. Me. But that's what I mean. Like, there's very few guys that can do both well. You know what I mean? Like, Gorilla Monsoon was good at that because he was able to put emotion and passion into just the play-by-play. Same thing with Jim Ross. Like, my God, he's beating him like a government mule. You know, like, like it was still exactly, you know, it was still there. It brought emotion. But, like, Michael Cole's like, uh, yeah, he's going for some sort of neck breaker. What? <laughs> Like, if you're a play-by-play guy, you should know every fucking move. And if you don't, then you need to have that extra guy that could just be like, yeah, this. And the other thing is, I don't, I can't shit on Michael Cole too much because that motherfucker got Vince McMahon yelling in his ear the entire fucking night, you know? Damn it, you got to make him look strong, damn it. <laughs> but it's like, you have Booker T, and Booker T knows the moves. But it's like, is he even watching the match? He's just like talking with them the whole time. He's right. Barely even paying attention. And then you have JBL who is trying to watch the match, trying to call the play by play and sort of be the heel announcer at the same time. Right. And it's like he's distracted by the idiocy to his left. Well that's part of it. And the other thing also is that JBL he fluctuates because he doesn't always play the heel either, if you know it's like he's not consistent. He's very inconsistent with that. I mean, lately with the authority thing, like when the authority was quote unquote out of power, he was basically crying for them to come back. Right. Well, and, he was healing it up good at that point. And now, you know, before they, they were knocked out of power, now that they're back, he was basically kissing their asses. Right. Which he still is. Of course. So, I mean, that's what I mean by the, the heel commentator. It's like that party gets well, and it's, it's usually, unless there's, you know, a situation where. He he has to, you know, it's, I guess, what you would say, in terms of WWE, politically incorrect to to um, be the heel commentator. In other words, I'm basically talking about Rusev. That's the only time where he's, like, rooting for the, the good guy. Right. But that's just because JBL's got to be, you know, the all-American Texan, you know? That's just the, 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 the usual. And, and that's fine because, again, you know, you, you can depart, you can break, you know, you can break um, character, which is fine. But, you know, again, it's it's one of those things where we don't have the proper balance of color, of uh, of color commentary, play by play and a heel announcer. It's just it's just either slightly disjointed on one side or it skews way too much to the other. Like if you notice on 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 NXT, when it's Renee Young, Alex Riley and, you know, and Albert, you kind of see a little bit of 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 just a better chemistry because Renee's doing the color commentary. Alex is kind of, I mean, uh, Renee's doing the play-by-play. Alex is kind of the color commentary. And then, you know, Albert kind of plays the heel a little bit, but not too much. Maybe they should bring them. <laughs> Dude, I, 
Well, it's like I said. I, 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 I stand by what I said before. Within five years, Renee Young's going to be in the booth. She, she's going to be in the booth. Damn good. She's going to be in the booth, dude. People don't. People don't. People don't get that. But it's like she's going to be in the booth. I'm telling you, she knows her shit. She is wasted on by by making her do freaking WWE interviews. I'm like, she calls matches very well. Yep. And she even like during pre-show, she's fantastic because she plays the heel well. Like she she can play the heel, or she can just play you know the, the neutral party. Right. And <laughs> she she works. I mean, it's like why they're using her in the capacity they are. I don't know. There you go. So I gotta I gotta take a moment and wish a speedy recovery to our uh, WWE superstar and of course past MTR guest Diamond Dallas Page who was actually hospitalized with subglottic stenosis, which is a um, a narrowing of the of the airway in the vocal cords, which means that it prevents air from getting through the the the, the vocal passageway to allow for breathing. So um, DDP was hospitalized with that a couple a couple days ago. He's actually going in for surgery, I believe, today or tomorrow. So I did want to acknowledge that. I mean, he was—he's been a past guest on the show, and you know, it's—it's it's crazy because the guy—he was basically doing a lot of touring, and uh, you know, they opened up the DDP Yoga Fitness Center, which I talked about on air uh, not last week, the week before, and he developed this condition over time, and it's like he lost—he lost the ability to breathe just out of nowhere. Fucking crazy, dude. Well, definitely, hope we wish him a speedy recovery. Yeah, I had to, I had to put that out there because that was bananas. If you go on his, um, if you look for Diamond Dallas Page on Facebook and you go in there, you can read like his update of him giving an explanation of how the how he got, you know, how the condition developed. Man, it's some scary shit. I was like, oh my god. I definitely want to see Donald Dallas Page back in the capacity where he can do things like do a run in the Rumble or any other, you know, event and. You know, I'm a long-time DDP fan. You know, I'm wishing the best. Yeah, definitely. Definitely a speedy recovery from all of us to Diamond Dallas Page. So we got to switch gears and, and talk about the elephant in the room before we wrap things up. And that is um, all of us in the wrestling community feel a lot closer to NXT Diva Zara Shriver and WWE's own Seth Rollins. The architect of the Shield should have had been a better architect with his passwords as somebody which pretty much the general consensus is his fiance hacked his Facebook, Twitter and Instagram accounts because at around five o'clock in the afternoon, I look on Instagram and, you know, I follow Seth Rollins and the last picture he had put up was a picture of him and Cesaro at a training facility doing CrossFit. And then later on in the day, I'm like, Oh, there's a full on naked chick. in Seth Rollins, Instagram. I'm like, all right. And it had the it had like a name like Zara Schreiber written. I didn't think anything of it. I'm like, oh, maybe he just felt like sharing this photo. But I'm like, yo, Instagram's kind of kind of you know very against fucking nudity. Like Chelsea Handler stays getting her her Instagram uh, getting locked down because she always posts topless photos for whatever reason. Anyway, so the picture of this diva shows up, and shortly after, either. His his girlfriend, either his fiance, shared that photo of her on his Instagram, or somebody hacked his Instagram and shared that photo. But either way, his fiance decided that it would be a grand idea to share naked pictures of Seth Rollins 
on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Now, many of you are probably saying, okay, so what? That's a big fucking problem because their Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram profiles are linked to their WWE superstar profiles on WWE.com. Meaning that when you went to WWE.com, you got to see Seth Rollins' twig and berries right on WWE.com like anything else. So, so yes, big fucking problem. So what ended up happening was that, you know, somebody asked Seth Rollins' fiance, like, yo, did you put that picture of Seth Rollins up? And she was like, I definitely did. I was like, oh, shit. So, um... It was, you know, there's, there's a lot of. Apparently, the, the, Go ahead. Apparently the correct terminology is now ex-fiance, as it's been said that on yep. her Facebook, she is single. Posting herself as single. Yep. And her Twitter is deleted. Yep. And then the chick who, the, 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 the girl, Zara Schreiber, her Instagram is now private. So there's a couple of things that I wanted to get into. Number one, when you're fucking famous. Stop leaving naked pictures on your fucking devices. Stop it. Unless you're going to leak them shits yourself, stop it. Because in 2015, the shit's going to get out. It's going to happen. So the thing that gets me is, and, and you know, you can make of it what you will, but I'm going to be honest. If, if, if Seth Rollins was stepping out on his chick, she could have just confronted the dude. There was no reason to put the motherfuckers twig and berries out there for everybody to look at him. I mean, whatever. But it's like, yo, there was there was zero need for that shit. Because it's like, yo, you do, you do realize that the shit went on, like, a website where children go. Like, you didn't think of that, did you? I'm sure she was looking... No, she's probably looking at damages career. Yep. Well, yeah, but that's... But you know what it is, dude? You could... Damaging somebody's career is fine, but it's like the the the... The, the the damage from that, just from, from a kid's perspective, not even talking about career, but it's like, yo, superstar profiles are, you know, all the social shit is tied to, to, to the website. So it's like, yo, some kid might have gone and, got, and, and fucking just gone on there to see what new t-shirts there were, and, or, or maybe they missed Raw and they wanted to see the recap, and when you click on certain superstars that are involved in matches, you see their profiles, it's like, oh, look. Seth Rollins' twig and berries are staring me in the face. That's good. You know what I mean? Dude, it's just insane. And then what they're they're saying is, and this was, again, this is coming from Reddit, so take it with a grain of salt, but they're saying that, you know, Seth Rollins is probably going to be fined a little bit amount of money, a little bit of money, because, you know, they're like, yo, somebody's got to be held responsible. It's like, dude, if you had the pictures out there, you should have got rid of them shits. So there has to be some accountability. Obviously, you're not going to you're not going to hold the NXT chick accountable because it's like, all right, she sent the picture to Seth Rollins, maybe maybe she didn't. You know, she could deny it and say I didn't send nothing. True. And you're not and, and and you're sure as fuck aren't going after his fiance cuz she's going to be like, "Yo, fuck you." <laughs> you know, whatever. So, I definitely feel Seth Rollins is going to be penalized, no pun intended. <laughs> but um the, the the fact is, in terms of punishment, he you know, if he was gonna cash in his money in the bank and win the belt, they might they might not let that happen right now. Or he may cash it in and lose. Like there's probably gonna be some sort of a some sort of an issue about it. And the reason is not so much that, you know, the picture of his fucking ball bag and fucking dick was out there, but the fact that 
it was talked about in like mainstream press. Like, you know, occasionally I turn on the radio here in New York and, you know, they have Z100. Dude, and that shit was on Z100. They talked about it for like half an hour. I was like, oh, shit. Because you know what it is? It's like you like that's some TMZ level shit. But it's like, yo, when it's being talked about on like mainstream press, you know, Vince must have been having a fucking coronary. Yeah, I'm sure his potential title run has been pushed back by a couple of years. Well, I wouldn't even say a couple of years because they've invested a lot of energy into him. And in a, and in uh, on one on one side of the spectrum, he was a victim. He kind of was, but it's just like on the other side of the spectrum, it's like, dude, you know, like that, you know, like like that's a rookie mistake. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, we'll discuss this next week because two things we need to find out. Shoot. If on Raw, if she acknowledges it in any way. No, they said. Well, no, WWE put out a memo that they said, you know, it's not going to get acknowledged. uh, Number one, because obviously they got to respect Seth Rollins privacy. Number two, because you don't want to draw attention to the fact that a guy's fucking yam bag was on WWE.com for a couple of hours. So. You know, they're not going to do that. But Seth Rollins, you know, he did issue a public apology and, you know, via social media. And that's fine. I mean, you can't crucify the guy too much. But according to what's been said, a memo was put out just about social media etiquette and, you know, social media. Essentially, the, the, the roster was told if you got questionable fucking shit out there, that shit needs to be deleted. No, but then there's the other problem. Shoot. Which is the the 800-pound gorilla in the room, literally. You could, you know, Seth Rollins' music hits. Seth Rollins comes to the, the ring with his two midgets. Yep. And he gets in the ring. He's about to, you know... Cut a promo. promo. And all of a sudden, you hear, Twig and Belly! Oh, yeah, you can't... You Twig can't. and Belly! Yeah, it's, that, that could happen, dude. Dude, you can't... That's That may be unavoidable, but that's going to be something that over time will just, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll go away because it's like, you got to look at it like, damn dude. And then the worst part is, and this is a, you know, this is a nightmare for, for, for any guy. It's like, yo, motherfuckers are sitting there like, yo, like, like just clowning the dude. Like, like, yo, did you like, like somebody was like, yo, did you just get out of a pool? I'm like, oh, here we go. Cause you know, that shit got retweeted like through the better part of a day, you know? And of course, Twitter was fucking aggressively going after the shit to take it down but dude you know everybody everybody had jokes and that's the kind of shit that you don't want to deal with you know but that's exactly what i'm saying depending upon how the crowd takes it right that could affect the the how he's you know written into storylines for the foreseeable future yeah i think that you sold out chants are gonna be i i think the chance that motherfuckers are gonna start using now is change your password <laughs> wow <laughs> You heard it here first, folks. Change your password chance for Seth Rollins from now on. Hashtag Twig and Berries. Hashtag Yambag. <laughs> Hashtag Rollins out of the pool. Hashtag Oops, don't retweet that. <laughs> like I said, you know, I and it, I, I said, I joked about this before we, you know, I came on air this week and I said, you know, I got to have a couple of laughs at it because it's like, yo, in 2015, no. <laughs> It's like if motherfuckers, it's like if motherfuckers can hack into your phone and take your shit like randomly, like Scarlett Johansson, we're looking at you and and countless other celebrities. It's like, yo, it could happen to you, too. Don't trip. (laughs) But 
Go ahead. He shouldn't have destroyed the shield. He could have covered his nutsack. <laughs> he should have. He should have been the architect of a better fucking password. Wow. <laughs> anyway, the um the last thing I the, the last two things I wanted to talk about uh, again involving WWE and social media. Uh, the first one involves Darren Young. Um, because he, he made a comment on Twitter about WWE touring Abu Dhabi. And he said, um, you know, because he felt that tour WWE touring Abu Dhabi in a, a, you know, a country where homosexuality is a crime and punishable by jail sentence. Um, you know, I, I, I'm assuming WWE made him delete the tweet because after he deleted it, he put out another tweet that said freedom, freedom of speech is gone. And then he said, it feels like no one has my back and it upsets me. The struggle is real. I'm human. And I understand because, you know, they, they uh, WWE took him off the tour, obviously, because they know that that shit's not cool over there. But the crazy thing was WWE is- issued a statement, and they uh, the statement was, um, WWE does not discriminate against individuals regardless of age, race, religion, or sexual orientation. And we continue to proudly support Fred Rosser, a.k.a. Darren Young, for being open about his sexuality. Unfortunately... WWE cannot change cultures and laws around the world, and thus we did not send Fred Rosser to the United Arab Emirates for the for our upcoming events for his own protection. WWE also fully supports Fred Rosser's right to express his views on personal social media accounts rather than WWE's corporate platforms. Translation, you want to fucking complain, do that shit on your own fucking Twitter. Yeah, do that shit on your... your non-professional Twitter. That was pretty much it. I understand, again, I understand where 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 Darren Young's frustration came from, and I'm sure that as soon as he put that tweet out, that dude's phone was like, blink, management, delete that fucking tweet. What's wrong with you? <laughs> because the reason is because, think about it, you're going into this country to make money. So you can't exactly shit on the country you're going into to make money. You know you can't. Exactly. So I understand that. But but, I, you know, it, it's crazy because it's no different. And I remember this also when they were getting ready to do the game, the Olympic Games in Russia. And, you know, given Russia's stance on on homosexuality, you know, certain certain Olympians that had different sexual orientation, you know, they they had issue going over there. And it's the same thing. But WWE, I think, did the right thing by saying, yo, let's not send you over there because God forbid, you know, you get a. You know, you get kidnapped. They try to kill you or some shit. You know, like a hate crime will happen. Like I think they were they, they were smart in doing that for his own protection. I understand his frustration, but I think he could have just voiced it a little differently because WWE is not trying to make those kind of waves. On the contrary, like I said, in the wake of this shit with Seth Rollins, they're not trying to make any kind of fucking waves. <laughs> not to mention the fact that um, China did an interview with Vince Russo. And she said that fucking Triple H hit her when they were approaching the end of their relationship, which is fucking crazy. She she said, um, so I think Hunter's plan was to get me to leave the relationship first, and then that way he can start dating Stephanie and everyone would be cool. So I would ask Hunter a time and time again. I figured it was better just to address the problem and ask him honestly, and I would have to believe his answer. So we got into a heated argument. We were not getting along. I told him I know something's going on. Don't tell me something's not going on. He swiped my hand. Then he swiped my hand and he hit me. I went back like Jerry Springer and then I was like, okay, that's the deal breaker for me. The relationship is now over. So now I have to leave. After that, I know that he was crying and I know that he felt bad that he hit me. And my first initial reaction was to get up, 
and like I don't know, I was just in shock. She he she says uh, it was very surreal, and I just couldn't believe that he hit me. But he knows that I that I don't stand for physical violence. Albeit we'll get to that after with Sean, which is X Pac. So I knew at that point I had to leave, but I needed some sort of closure. So when he was gone, I started looking all over the house, and I looked into his long. Uh, into she said. Uh, long story short, I looked into his briefcase and I found a love letter from Stephanie that had been dated a year back. So the whole time that they were doing the storyline, basically they were together. So of course, uh, the website Cage Side Seats reached out to WWE for a response, and Triple H said the false statements and reckless allegations made by Joni Laura, aka China, on a recent podcast about a physical dispute are a complete fabrication. While Joni has had her significant struggles in life, this does not justify making such claims. Not a good week. <laughs> not a good fucking week. Well, you expect this to oh yeah, I hit her and I'm sorry. Yeah, pretty much. It's like, oh, we're gonna reach out for comment. Hey, did you happen to punch this chick in the face? Yeah, I did. That's a huge bitch, you know. That's not that's not what you were gonna get. <laughs> Hate to break it to you. I gotta be the bearer of bad news. Not happening. Again, his side, her side, and the truth. So you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say it's, fa- I'm not gonna say it's a lie. I'm not gonna say it's true. But again, not the kind of shit you need out there. I mean, it's most likely not true. It's not like she's trying to bring him up on charges. She stands nothing to gain from it. She's yeah. just being interviewed. But I mean, I mean, it is what it is. Like, like I said, it doesn't matter what the situation is at this point. Triple H is the COO of WWE. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, even if you got that shit on film, you got to put Shaggy. He's like, it wasn't it. Oh yeah, but but the other thing that gets me is it's like you know, the, everybody's always talking about the fact that eventually Degeneration X has to go in the Hall of Fame, and pretty much it's been it's been mentioned numerous times that they got to put D, DX in there and exclude China because of all you know all the porn shit she did. But it's like, you can't even sweep the porn shit under the rug and let this slide because you just said that the motherfucker that runs the company hit you. True. You see what I'm saying? I mean, like, like, we discussed that last week on the, the podcast. Yep. It's craziness. It is craziness. You know what I mean? And, and now, now, you know, when he did the conference call for NXT, you know, he's very proud of NXT. NXT is essentially his baby. He, want, he was talking about possibly taking NXT on the road, you know, and doing house shows with NXT. And it's just like, again, this is not a good week for, for fucking press for them. Because even the Darren Young thing, while people think that it's mi- it's minor, it's a pretty big deal because it's a guy that's acknowledging that his ability to express himself was taken away from him from a company standpoint, even though they're against bullying. And again, from a business standpoint, I totally understand why that was done. But again, it's not, um, you know, it's not it's not painting it in a favorable light. And I totally just was reminded via communique from a good friend of mine that X-Pac was in a fucking porno with her. I forgot. He was in there. He was in there. He was in there munching, munching on her, too. So it's like, you got to not put that motherfucker in there either. And it's like, you, you shouldn't really be bringing him on freaking, you know, the, the, the legend show for all. This is true, but you know what it is? It's I, I think I think that the problem <laughs> the problem in China's case is X Pac did the one thing China did like fucking five flicks, but still, it's the same shit. X Pac shouldn't be there either. I I appreciate the communique. <laughs> X Pac, I totally X-Pac is, like everybody knows that X Pac freaking beat on China. 
Yeah, well, I to- I totally forgot that they had done that 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 uh that that terrible adult classic. So I uh I appreciate my good friend sending me that, even though now I have nightmares about it now because you know just I, I had repressed those memories. So thank you for that, both good and bad. But um, yeah, that's 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 fucking crazy. I totally forgot. It's like X Pac shouldn't fucking be there either. Like if you induct DX into the Hall of Fame, it's gotta be Shawn Michaels, Triple H, and the New Age Outlaws. No X Pac, no China. Leave that shit out. Yep. Same thing with the NWO. Then, if you induct the NWO in the Hall of Fame at some point, you can't. X Pac can't be part of that either. Yep, he can't go in there a six pack. Hundred percent right. Fucking crazy, dude. It's like it's like it the, the it has not been a, a week of good press for them. We'll see. Well, you know how you get around that. If you're inducting DX or or the NWO, you just have one or two representatives come for the 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 ceremony. Well, you don't D- have the whole crew time. Yeah, well, DX is probably going to be Michaels, Michaels, Triple H, and the New Age Outlaws. But but like I said, since X Pac is fucking Triple H's boy, he's gonna put that motherfucker in there because that's his that's his man, which is which is which is fucking hypocritical as fuck, you know. Which I mean surprises me not at all. No, when we're talking about Triple H, this is true. But uh, you know what? But it's it's definitely something. Like I, there's been rumors that you know DX was bound to go in there within the next couple of years. So. You know, we'll see what happens. I think I think it's definitely something worth worth keeping an eye on because it's true. It's like if you if you guys have gone on record publicly with regards to China and say, you know, that her adult film career is going to kind of exclude her from going into the Hall of Fame, then fuck that. You got to exclude X-Pac, too. I don't give a shit. I think, like, she would have to go in, like, let's say 20 years from now. But yo, but you know what? You know what? Fuck that. Exclude Shawn Michaels too, because that motherfucker was in some skin mag too. I forgot about that. When I was in high school, I remember the the chicks in my class had like a fucking book that he was in some Magic Mike style shit. I forgot about that fucking guy. He's another one. Holy roller, he was. I for, I totally forgot you know, that. Who HBK? Yeah. yeah, he is. But now that I think about it, it's like, well, fuck. So t- you, his ass should be excluded too. Uh, but you know, we we, we we all know that that especially when it comes to a company run by this man, that, <laughs> you know what what goes for the boys doesn't exactly apply to the girls and vice versa. This is true. I could just imagine. I could just imagine Vince when that China DVD came out. And, and, Look at look at X Pac munching on that tiny wiener. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> look at it, damn it! Look, look at it, tiny wiener. <laughs> you know he told. <laughs> damn it, Hunter! If you if she goes in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> If she goes in the Hall of Fame, you're fired. <laughs> oh shit. That that's a that was a good that's a good way to, to wrap things up. <laughs> yeah, so there you have it. During the Stone Cold podcast, you, you, you have freaking this man in, in Triple H and they're like 
Don't talk about our daughter in a fucking hall of fame. <laughs> you know Steve you know Steve Austin is like especially now, he's like, fuck, I wish I could have interviewed Triple H this week. <laughs> fucking I, I have a feeling that that the the um Stone Cold podcast are gonna there's not gonna be too many more of them on the WWE network. <laughs> even though they're insanely popular, he like like he said, I mean he asked the questions that everybody wants asked. to know. Well, he 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 asked the questions everybody wants to know that nobody else is going to ask because he don't give a shit. Exactly. Like, he's like, what are you going to do? With you don't want me to go on the, on the WWE network? Okay. Yep. I'm still going to do my podcast. That's it. I'm still going to get paid. You don't like what I'm saying? Guess what? I'm already in the Hall of Fame. I'm fucking retired, so you can kiss my ass. I'm yep. still going to make money. No, I think I think that the high okay. point. I think the high point out of that entire thing with Stone Cold also is the fact that, dude, he put the pressure on him. Like when they were talking, when they asked about when he asked Vince about Savage, like I think one of the reasons Savage is going in there is because Vince put him on front street and he was just like, so, so why isn't Randy going in the hall of fame? Well, he's going to go in the hall of fame eventually. But why though? <laughs> like, that's it. I, I don't know, man, but it, it, I, I think, I think Stone Cold, He's got, Stone Cold wishes he probably got to do the show with Triple H this week because he'd he'd probably ask about NXT and he'd be like, "So uh, that Seth Rollins situation, where are we at with that?" Uh, well, Steve, you know it was a personal situation, but 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 the guys Twig and Berries are out there, Hunter. <laughs> anyway, we what about Darren Young? <laughs> oh yeah, and that too. He could have been like, "So so you know, how do you feel about the whole Darren Young situation? What do you mean?" Well, you basically said that Darren Young can't go to 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 the United Arab Emirates because you know they uh, that he he'd get arrested. Is that true? Yeah, well, you know, for his own well being. But is it true? It's all good. Anyway, aside from that, I do got to say that if you haven't seen NXT Rival, make sure you watch that shit. That's how I'm gonna. That's how I'm gonna close out. <laughs> I just received a communique that Randy Orton is going to RKO China's small penis. I think it's time to wrap this up. <laughs> time to wrap things up. Anyway, anything else you want to add, Slick? We're going to RKO that tiny wiener. <laughs> Damn it, put that wiener on WWEshop.com. <laughs> anyway, aside from that, anything else? No, there's enough awfulness for one reason. There you go. Thanks for the assist, bro. I appreciate it. Oh, there's one last thing. Shoot. I don't know if this is better for for wrestling or for entertainment, but... Shoot. You heard the rumor of Batista being in the Highlander remake. Yes. Yes, I have. We'll discuss that tomorrow. All right. There you go. As always, you can All find... Right, I'll talk to you later. All right, brother. Peace. As always, you can follow Slick on Twitter at RW underscore Slick, or you can interact with him on our Facebook fan page. Damn, we almost went three hours today. Fucking NXT, all kinds of craziness. Anyway, let's wrap things up. You've just heard My Take Radio episode 272, which broadcasts live February 11th, 2015. If you have any questions, concerns, or would like to be a guest on a future episode of My Take Radio, you can email me, mtrhost, at mytakeradio.com. You can also find My Take Radio on social media, at My Take Radio on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook, Google+, and also Pinterest. If you want to listen to archived episodes of the show, you can listen to them via iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. 
And of course, video versions are available on the My Take Radio uh, YouTube channel and the RageWorks YouTube channel as well. Plus, of course, on RageWorks.net. Your best My Take Radio experience, though, comes courtesy of the My Take Radio app, available for $1.99 for iOS, Android, and Windows mobile devices, giving you 96K stereo episodes of the show, mobile wallpapers, and other exclusive content as well. For Android devices, you can pick it up in the Amazon Android Marketplace. For iOS, of course, you're heading to iTunes. And for Windows, you are heading to the Windows Marketplace. All right, My Take Radio will be back later today at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific to talk gaming and entertainment. On behalf of myself and the rest of the MTR crew, I will catch you guys later. Peace. I'm rich, bitch. That's all, folks.